Hey! Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, or whenever this finds you. I'm your host, Chantal Senya, and thank you for joining me on another episode of To Be Confirmed, the latest, hottest podcast series, which seeks to answer society's larger questions about race and racism, because often the answer to these questions remain, well, to be confirmed. Tune in, listen, and prepare to be inspired, provoked, and moved as we dive into another episode of To Be Confirmed. Hi. Hi, everyone. Long time no see. It's been a while, hasn't it? Anyways, for those of you that are just starting your journey with To Be Confirmed, welcome. Hi, if you're a frequent listener, welcome back. My name is Chantal Senia. I'm the host and creator of To Be Confirmed, the hottest and latest podcast series, which seeks to answer society's larger questions about race and racism with gender, politics and society, because more than often, the answers to those questions remain, well, to be confirmed. Now, I want to issue a little disclaimer because we're going to go through a beast of an episode today. You can see our special guest right here. We'll be introducing her in just a moment. Um, But the disclaimer goes as follows. So this is my legal official speak lawyer hat coming on. So the views, information or opinions expressed during this podcast episode are solely of, (laughs) are solely those of the Well, yeah, they belong to the individuals that are involved in this podcast episode and do not necessarily represent any other entity. This podcast episode, including the information shared and our analysis of the information shared, is solely for educational purposes. Also, in shorter words, I said what I said. This is my show, my platform, my podcast. And quite frankly, I say this all the time in my work. I like to provoke thought, conversation and racist. And if I've provoked you in any kind of way, I'm happy with that. Um, So without further ado, um, I would like to direct our attention to our wonderful special guest here, (laughs) which is Kadra Abdinazir. So side note, did I pronounce your name correctly? Yeah, that's fine. Perfect. Fabulous. Oh my God, I was about to be like, oh, I got that so wrong. Okay, fabulous. Side note, folks, please take the time to know people's names. Get the pronunciation right, (laughs) phonetic spellings. It makes a whole difference. So Kadra, I've been talking for a while. Please let the people know, let the world know. Tell us about you, who you are, where you're from, star sign, everything. (laughs) Thank you, Chantal. And thanks for inviting me to be a part of the pod. Um, You're doing amazing work. So, you know, it's been a pleasure. Uh, planning this session today with you. So um, I'm Kadra Abdinasa. I work for a charity called Centre for Mental Health. We're a mental health research charity uh, with a specific focus and lens around social justice. So for us, we kind of like look at the drivers of poor mental health, like Mm -hmm. racism, poverty, poor housing, and see those as like health interventions, basically, for for people. Um, so that's what I do. I've worked Amazing. in the sort of charity sector for over a decade now, which is... Wow. Yeah. And mostly worked with children and young people Amazing. and like trying to improve policies around them. In terms of star signs, I'm an Aries. I don't yes! know what my sun and moon is because I don't think my mum can actually remember oh, <laughs> what time she gave birth You're to You're an me. Aries. I love uh, Aries. I know. I was a cesarean, so I don't even think she okay. knows. Oh, <laughs> bless. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's me. Um, nice. Yeah. Okay, fire signs out there. If you are part of the Aries gang, please let us know. Oh my God, you're an Aries. My editor, Francesco, he's also an Aries. My best friend is also an Aries. Aries, I feel like they're wonderful folks. Fire signs are great folks. Um, but let's not bore you with the with the um, semantics. Also, representation, who you rep in, North, South, East, oh, West. South London. South London. Yes, even though we're okay. in North London today, it's uh, 
Israelite journey again, however. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. fair. But thank you so much. Um, so a little bit of a backstory between how Kadra and I met. Um, we met at a um, a panel, I believe last year, it was mm-hmm. for a law firm, um, talking about, well, a little bit about what the episode is today around children safeguarding and um, adding that sort of intersectional lens on race and how it affects you know children from different ethnic um backgrounds and literally from the minute i met kadra it was just i don't know it was just sort of you know when you click with someone it just yeah, sort yeah. of happens um that was it really and, and the the way my hair is all everywhere anyways the way we clicked um was just absolutely um for me like amazing i think it's very rare to find that kind of connection with people so and we've worked together on several projects together mm-hmm. so i just thought you know i need her on this platform i need the world to mm-hmm. see her on this podcast and yeah here we are <laughs> i know we picked up on bad vibes that day together we were oh! just like so in sync so no literally <laughs> i was just like okay you you spoil yes. that to you. <laughs> you're coming home with me literally <laughs> no comment um, yeah i was about to say something but i don't know if that's going to be sensible no comment no yeah comment. no comment we'll keep it stepping <laughs> the title of this episode is called black youth Innocence, Instinct and Independence. For those of us watching um, in on this episode, you'll see all of the information presented on the screen here. But for those of us listening, this is what we'll be talking about. Now, in the tradition of the podcast, in line with the title, we'll have an original question, which will dictate the whole conversation, the mini questions in between it. And of course, under the premise of the podcast, we'll be seeing if, in essence, the answer to the question can be confirmed. So the question in question is the lived experiences of racism and the representation of black youths mean that they're stripped of their innocence prematurely and their true social economic independence, which can mean that their instincts are survival in a fundamentally racist heteropatriarchal world. How can we truly protect the independence of black youth? That's the question for today. So pretty hefty, pretty beefy, but buckle in. I promise you, you will not want to miss this. So uh, just to sort of clarify the direction of this episode, I'll be, um, when I'm talking about innocence, instinct and independence, I'll be using the definitions as shown by Cambridge Dictionary. So for innocence, um, it is defined as the fact that someone is not guilty of a crime. So that's the first definition. The second definition is the quality of not having much experience of life and not knowing about the bad things that can happen in life. Now, this is what I mean when I say innocence in the context of the podcast. Instinct, defined by Cambridge Dictionary, is the way that people or animals naturally react or behave without having to think or learn about it. And finally, independence, as defined by Cambridge Dictionary, is one, the freedom of being governed, freedom from being governed or ruled by another country, and two, the ability to live your life without being helped or influenced by other people. Again, when I say independence, that's what I mean in the context of this episode. Um, So, Kadra, um, what feelings, thoughts, emotions come to you when you hear and see the title, Innocence, Instinct and Independence? Yeah, I mean, I guess in relation to black children, which is what we're here to talk about today, I guess it will evoke like feelings of sadness overall, um, because obviously many black children still to this day are like robbed of their innocence, right? Um, either because they're not seen as like children or protected yeah. in that sense, but also um, they're much more likely to like face lots of different hardships mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. make them in some ways maybe mature a yeah. bit earlier yeah. right, than they should. Um, instincts, I would always, I would say that, um, you know, innately it's like we're in fight or flight mode yeah. and we'll unpack a bit of that a bit of more. Of course. So yeah. that's the instinct is always maybe to be defensive because we've mm-hmm. lived in a system that's like oppressed us for so many years yeah. and all of these things. 
Um, independence, I would say, is a bit of like a double-edged sword for me mm. because, um, again, where you're robbed of your innocence, you're yes. kind of seen as like you can fend for yourself and do yeah. stuff for yourself. But then at the same time, obviously, with high levels of like incarceration or detention, yes. they don't have independence. No. But also... Um, Black children, and I would say children and young people overall, mm. don't really have a voice in our society. They're kind of like second-class citizens, yeah, to be true. honest with it's you. It's true. Um, and then you can imagine if you come from like a black background or any other background, it's even more harder for you to like yeah. be heard. So, yeah, that's how I feel about it. But I think, I guess that being said, um, they don't necessarily, they can have positive connotations, all three of those words, yeah. if we wanted them to, like if we nurtured them and protected children, yeah, put in place those right sort of like scaffolding around them as like communities and institutions, of course. they don't have to be negative. So that's, that's a good point. <laughs> Thank you for that, Kadra. Yeah. Um, I think for me personally, um, when I think about the episode, I mean, kind of following, um, well, in a literal sense, I was following the sort of formula that I did with my podcast, a permanent episode with Kletcher Kafour, which was alliteration, you know, mm. sounds nice, power of three. Um, but similar to what you were sort of describing, really, I really wanted to identify, because um, the, the, words, the words that came to me were also things that I just thought were just intrinsic to the black experience. Um, and I really wanted, well, I hope after the end, end of this episode that it is, but I wanted wanted this space to be a place where we can really challenge the definitions of these words and and how they apply to us as as black youth really so those are really my my feelings um in in that um also final clarification so when i say youth um the office of national statistics classify youth as being between 13 and 29 um, and also yougov uk um also share the same classification as well so I guess the main question, well, main, mm. the first question to sort of answer the big question really is, you know, the role of culture is so significant for us in the black community. Um, and importantly, you know, for black youth, as it, you know, um, is it, it's a staple for our identities, really. Um, in what ways do you feel that the role of culture for black youth has been neglected by our UK institutions? Yeah, I would say neglected, but also even threatened, undermined, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> suppressed in so many yeah. ways. So I can kind of share some examples Please. in my experience in how that happens in different institutions. So yes. like in educational settings, for example, um, one of my friends, Wardafara, who I'm actually seeing later, has done nice. lots of work on like um, linguistic discrimination, for example. So, um, you know, school settings typically mm. don't really promote native or, or mother tongue That's of true. like Languages. Uh, black young people if they you know come from a, a country that has another language for yeah. example um so they're sort of taught to suppress that but even being like um you know descendants of migrants who live in the UK we have our own colloquialisms our own mm. slangs all of these things that for some reason are like deemed as like lesser than yeah. in comparison to like white working class people yeah. who may have their own slang and all of that that's yeah. acceptable in school settings so there's all that kind of stuff and um even one school in South London which my brother used to go to actually before wow. um they introduced a no slang policy like school-wide you're joking right? no slang mm -hmm. and they even said um you're not allowed to use filler words in the classroom and stuff like that and I'm like how many times am that? I saying I'm in this podcast literally <laughs> what? you know you can kind of see that and then hairstyles for example oh my so God. Yeah. we already know all these like rules that is about like based on very Eurocentric standards of yes. what's right in culture mm -hmm. um Obviously, again, we know that the curriculum is not really fit for purpose. I've itself. got some thoughts on that. Uh huh. Yeah. It, you know, yeah. um, it's not diverse. Um, young people from black and other backgrounds don't really see themselves represented. No. 
Um, and then I guess, um, you know, black children in particular, they're much more likely to go to schools that are in deprived areas mm. and communities where there's less budgets even available to support like extracurricular or cultural activities. So they just miss out on yeah. any of those things altogether, unless there's like a local charity yeah. around. Um, so for example, in Lambeth, we've got Poetic Unity, who wow. are an amazing organization who work with like black children around nice. poetry, for example. Um yeah. And then obviously we know criminal justice system, like black young people being over-policed and underprotected. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> we already yeah. know what that means. Like yeah. um, they kind of see black culture and like grime music. It's equivalent to criminalism. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, you know, a very punitive response. And then in the world of work as well. So, um, you know, black young people in particular find it difficult to get jobs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, names like mine, for example, that people can't be bothered to pronounce. Mm. And all that. I know we're making like some progress to... Um, have like blind recruitment processes and stuff like that or name blind and um, probably an ableist term actually which it I is an ableist use. term yeah and we should eradicate but like yeah. a, a term to say that um basically people can apply anonymously and they create codes but and stuff like that though, but like it shouldn't take that like why? I think people should make an effort to kind of learn yeah. people's names so yeah all those microaggressions yeah. that happen throughout or even macroaggressions for yeah. all these institutions are basically an attack on culture is yeah. the way I see it, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's yeah. so much that you've uh, picked up on. Even with the blind recruitment piece, like as you're talking, I was like, why? Why in the world where we're already scared of a a takeover by robots, why is it that people need to rely on software to not use their own biases when trying to you know um support people in trying to access employment like mm -hmm. that's that's actually so, like it's so wrong like we say all the time like educate yourself we say all the time like oh you know information's out there but it's like if you're not even bothered to access information and you're relying you're literally using software that's hiding names so that you're not enacting on these biases i think it's absolutely mm -hmm. ridiculous but yeah I don't know, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but to add on to a couple of your points, I mean, there's a, a couple of bits that I thought about um, in regards to the role of culture and representation. So, you know, and in, you know, turning it on its head and looking at the, the power of positive representation, you know, positive representation, of course, uh, you know, allows us to see our vast and diverse diaspora. I feel like people say it all the time, but it needs to be said again, black people aren't a monolith, you know? Yeah. Uh, we all have our different identities, different cultures and and backgrounds and lived experiences. And, and having that positive representation that incorporates that level of intersectionality, I think is quite validating. Um, you know, even though as a population, we account for less than 10% of the UK population, we're still pretty significant and our voices clearly are loud enough that they want to suppress it. But I digress. So in the case of Notting Hill Carnival, for example, that was what, two weeks ago now? Mm -hmm. How was your Notting Hill Carnival experience? Yeah, I went for the first time in such a long time. First time? <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I don't, I don't do well in big crowds, to be honest. Okay, fair. But yeah. So. Okay, fair. <laughs> yeah, but it was nice. It was good. It's a good celebration. And obviously, you know, typical kind of like right wing media oh, talking about yeah. all the negative stuff and the negative connotations rather than the positive side of yeah. things. So even how it tied into like the justice campaign for Grenfell, for example, oh, there's so God, many yeah. things that, you know, Carnival represents to different yes. communities and different people. So, you know, yeah, I, yeah definitely agree <laughs> yeah um i did uh dutty mass on the sunday which is um basically um uh caribbean folks please put in the comment section what it means to you but from what i was taught um dutty mass on the sunday is where you get as dirty as possible so paints oils and all of that um and it's a, a very significant caribbean um tradition really um to sort of mark 
um, the way that Caribbeans, when they were being colonized, that they would cover themselves in paint and tar to hide themselves mm -hmm. from colonizers. And um, also it's a really great, uh, from what I understand of it, like a great expression of rebellion, of resistance. And um, yeah, being in that, knowing the history of that and being in that on the Sunday was amazing. Monday, I sort of, I went too late, but had a fun time on both days. Um, it was a bit busy in fact, of course it's carnival, but had a great time nonetheless. Um, but before we go off topic with carnival being Europe's second largest carnival, and of course to celebrate Caribbean culture in the UK, um, and in a post windrush country, which UK government give them their compensation. Please, quickly. Okay, <laughs> quickly. Um, you know, talking about representation, you know, the over-policing of Notting Hill Carnival, you know, you mentioned just now the way that they're reporting about it on the news, um, especially with the anti-Black rhetoric of criminalising Notting Hill Carnival. So, for example, you'll see um, a lot of, like, stats being thrown around. And I got these from London Live. Um, so according to the Metropolitan Police, 300 arrests were made at 2023 Notting Hill Carnival. Um, and once broken down uh, by um, London Live, that the 308 arrests is equivalent to 1.54 arrests per 10,000 people. And over 2 million people, as an average number, were present at Carnival. Now, in that same weekend, Creamfields Festival was going on. Um, that's like another music festival that happens in Cheshire. Now, there were 118 arrests. However, that is equivalent to um, 1.64 arrests per 10,000 people. Um, in the stat that I gathered from um, this source, um, they did a comparison between Glastonbury to give more of like an accurate representation of, you know, I guess some of the messaging behind both festivals. With Glastonbury, with over 210,000 people in attendance, there were only 36 arrests, which on paper, great, fantastic. You know, you don't really want to have arrests. Um, but when they broke it down, in comparison to Notting Hill Carnival with 1.54 arrests, per 10,000 people. Glastonbury had 1.71 arrests per 10,000 people, which again, of course, not going to, you know, populate that and put of that course. in the mainstream <laughs> news. But that's one way that representation is, is sort of hidden from, um, not hidden, is is used as a tactic to, to weaponize blackness as something that is inherently bad, for instance. Mm. Um, you know, another example, representation in the media, Top Boy. Have you seen Top Boy? No, I'm saving that for the weekend. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Top Boy. Um, I've seen it, so I'm not going to spoil it for you, but um, I don't know how I had the time to do oh, it, please, but I saw Top Boy. I've, I've been avoiding Twitter and everything. <laughs> you know, please do, because they're, they're throwing out the spoilers. All the analysis. <laughs> oh my gosh. But um, Top Boy, uh, you know, that's one part of representation of Black British culture that I see in the UK. So I think that is really significant. So for those across the pond, Top Boy, um, formerly known as Top Boy Summer House is, in my opinion, an incredible, incredible TV series. Um, and I, I, like I said, a staple in the Black um, British culture. And as a TV series, even though they feature fictional characters, the show itself presents such a great social commentary on, you know, the way that um, Black people, especially in deprived neighbourhoods, are treated. And also, you know, their journeys um, in their own lives, whether that be if they choose to go through the crime pathway, you see what led them to get to that, which is the social and economic decline um, of their own um, of their own worlds. You also see a lot of commentary on immigration, on class, so schooling, employment, um, and you also see a lot about community. There's a really powerful message of community throughout the entirety of that series, um, and also quite aptly the way that the police treat young black people in that in that TV series. Um, and of course, it features some of the biggest legends in the game, Ashley Walters and Kano. Again, for those of us that have seen Top Boy, incredible performances all round. Kudos yes. to you. Like, just 
In awe. In awe. Um, in saying that with representation, um, Ashley Walters has admitted, um, I got this from the um, Independent, he said that it was Top Boy was written by a white yeah. um, writer, that it would have been ideal for Top Boy to be written by a black writer. However, um, his view was that in understanding, you know, yeah, him understanding the people that he consulted for the script writing was, you know, key. Um, Ashley Walters says that, you know, while the show may have not been great for Ronan as a white writer on the um, series, Ronan Bennett, I should have put his full name in the beginning, um, that the show was huge for people like him. And that, of course, it was, you know, for him, it was amazing seeing black writers being championed on stage. And, you know, he also referenced that it's a fight to get that diversity, to get that representation on screen. So that's incredible. Um, you know, if you want to talk about uh, another piece of representation, gigs, talking the hardest, I feel like national the, anthem. I was about to say <laughs> that. We say it is the official <laughs> British national anthem. And when you like, please, if I had the song here, I'd be going wild. <laughs> what? Read and, and he performed it at Carnival. Oh, I missed that. I wish I saw him. I wish I oh got it. Um but yeah, no, um, even with that, like the fact that we as black British people say like the national anthem and we know the history <laughs> of the national anthem of the colonial empire, I think that's incredible in itself. But just to end on this kind of note, really, because I feel like I could talk about representation for ages and ages. Um, there is a poem um, that I found by um, Henry um, of uh, Who We Be podcast um, and spoken word artist um, Telexia Iniko. Um they say in the poem, um, it's, a, it's an ode to Black British youth and basically just talks about, you know, um, the power of our Black British culture mm. um, and their quote, actually, which they say, the culture is something that should never die. And I hope for everyone that's listening in that identifies as Black British that we do keep that culture going and, and moving, really. You know, talking on representation, LGBTQ plus representation, I, I am a very proud queer woman um, and especially for the Black community, you know, I feel like it'd be wrong for me to not mention Beyonce's Renaissance album. Mm. Um, you know, she's currently on tour at the moment and we've seen so much discourse online about, you know, the the visibility um, that the Renaissance album gives in terms of, you know, it's been likened, um, you know, to an ode, a love letter to, to Black queer folk, to Black folk um, as a whole. Um, but also affirming and touching on, you know, the history on, of um, certain musical genres such as House. House is a Black genre. So once you're hearing a couple of the commercial oons, 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 <laughs> don't forget that a black person started that, okay? Um, but, you know, with with that being said, you know, her tour's going on. I unfortunately missed it. I'm fuming. I I tried five times to get the tickets. I couldn't I get so them. I was so lucky to get you got them. a friend. Yeah. Wow. It was an experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I want to cry. I want Like seeing all those videos, I got so much FOMO. Like, Put it out there. You'll get to see her one day. Amen. Soon, I receive it. I receive soon. it. Um, but, you know, even so as well, actually, one thing I forgot to mention is that with Beyonce's album, I feel like it's such a testament to self-expression as well. You know, seeing the concert culture, yeah. the input on people's outfits. I went to a Beyonce after party and like, you know, the disco ball hat. I bought the ingredients and I ingredients I bought the ingredients and I made that from scratch and I felt so accomplished and felt so included and again to be to feel so seen by someone that looks like us and yeah. someone that champions us was just incredible and she boosted the economy worldwide worldwide <laughs> this, so. you know what I mean <laughs> you know so, incredible and they had the audacity to give the Grammy to somebody else mm. to somebody else <laughs> 
anyways, let's not get into that. Let's not. <laughs> but talking locally about LGBTQ plus representation, you know, we see that in the UK that LGBTQ plus lives are at risk. Um, we're seeing the government issue policies against gender affirming healthcare and also recognition of LT LGBTQ plus people. Um, and in that, again, well, in that being said, I feel that, again, Beyonce's Renaissance album, having that positive representation, those those little bits and tips that we've just spoken about here allows us to have that, I guess, that, you know, two minute breather, you know, mm. that, OK, you know, shit's going on outside and everything's kind of stacked up against us. But we have these moments of joy that we have the right to access. So. So, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so my next question, my love, is um, in your professional experience, can you share some of your observations and evidence in the disparity in mental health outcomes for black youth? Um, yeah, we'll start with that first and then we'll, we'll go wider. Yeah, big question. I mean, yeah. um, in short, we actually don't really have good enough evidence in the UK we about black know. young people's experiences. Researching was of hard. Anything this. pretty much, let alone like the experiences of racism. So like, we have to draw on a lot of like international research and stuff like that. But um, their experiences of like racism isn't that much different from adults either. So, mm. you know, um, we always say that racism is toxic to mental health um, and actually research, although there's so many like huge disparities, racial disparities in physical health. Mm -hmm. And we're focusing on that, like things like maternal health outcomes, for example, for black mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. um, the research apparently shows that racism is twice as likely to impact your mental health than your physical health. Wow. Which, again, like mental health is often like is described as like the Cinderella mm. illness that's like hidden yeah. that you don't really see, you know, mm -hmm. often. Um, but we know that for children and for adults who experience it, it's been like linked to both short and longer term mental health problems such as anxiety and depression. Wow. Um, and uh, Ghislaine Kinawani, who's done some amazing work about like racial trauma, wow. especially. And she's like trying to push this as like a concept and uh, generate a greater understanding of this. But um, experiencing racism has like a bit, they call it like a weathering effect. Mm. It kind of like chips at your like self-esteem. It and really your does. being over time. It does. You it know, does. Um, and erodes your mental health. And so we should kind of see experiencing things like that, things like direct or indirect forms of like yeah. racism and abuse uh, as similar to being uh, experiencing PTSD, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. people show kind of similar scores to that. It's true. Um, and yeah, like I said, overall, it just impacts your well-being too, your self-esteem if you don't see yourself reflected yeah. or valued in society. Um, and then like body uh, confidence and your appearance as well, especially for girls when the we think about standards. that. It's kind of interesting because when we look at research on like well-being um, in the UK specifically, it shows like black girls um, have like the highest levels of body confidence and self-image so and I'm just like I find that quite interesting because I'm like if I don't see myself represented in yeah. on tv in adverts yeah. and everything we're not the beauty standard so how yeah. like are we just not responding to those surveys in yeah. the way you know because our parents gas us up as well don't they? <laughs> they're just it's like true. you are beautiful you are yeah. this and maybe and where we um, hang around with each other predominantly in, within yeah. our communities, maybe those are affirming spaces which they should are. be protected, I mean, they which they are. Yeah. But overall, like comparing yourself to what is the standard. It's yeah. mad. But even it's as you're saying that, like I'm mm. thinking about like schools, you yeah. know, because the whole, the whole body confidence thing. Mm. I remember back in the day, and I'm, I mean, I'm only 25, but back in the day where like, you know, having big lips, big tits, a bum, hips, that was yeah. all like, oh, you're fat, you're this, you're that. Yeah. And now what? Nearly, I, I don't want to... <laughs> 
everybody is seemingly getting bodies and hips and lips and we I don't even know what to say everyone's trying to look black from how I'm seeing things it's like I'm seeing and obviously do what you want with your body I really want to mm. put that out there you have your bodily autonomy do what you want whatever makes you happy but when we're looking at shaming black girls for literally having their own hair their own uh, their own bodies and then you're going to replicate that on a surgeon table make that make sense yeah I mean they say they want our rhythms but not our blues right Ooh. and that just puts it spot, spot on there <laughs> that um, yeah. quote I don't know yeah. who it is from so excuse me that's amazing but, but yeah you know, so yeah those are some yeah. kind of like key issues and ways um, and I guess one thing I would add as well is like the concept and notion of mental health itself and mm. the underpinning research the assumptions behind it it's all sort of like um, Eurocentric uh, thinkers who are behind it, yeah, um, and white supremacy obviously seeps within that. Yeah, and, it does. Yeah, um, you know, like the handbook that's used by all mental health professionals. That's called the DSM five Diagnostic wow. Statistical Manual. Okay, very catchy name yeah. that they use, but it has like it lists all three hundred like mental disorders that exist. Wow, apparently around There's the world, and all three hundred of them. Not one really recognizes the impact of like racism and it doesn't. Health. No, interesting. So that, that in itself, like, if people don't even understand it, you know, yeah. that kind of limits research. Yeah, people's it does. understanding all these kind of yeah. other stuff as well. So, wow, yeah. wow. Thank you for your reflections. But um, you know, just to quickly add on what you've you know what you've mentioned, um, I actually saw some research from your organization, um, which. Uh, says that, you know, for instance, young black people, sorry, young people from a black African background are significantly more likely to be referred to inpatient and emergency services compared to their white counterparts. And conversely, that black people are four times more likely to be um, detained under the Mental Health Act and I believe 10 times more likely to receive a community treatment order, which I think is absolutely, again, I'll be saying this all, all the time, I think, through this episode, absolutely bordering, absolutely just like, I don't, I don't get how that works. And even looking at you know mental health disparities I've I've noticed that there's so in talking about some of the mental health disorders that you sort of briefly mentioned that there is a overrepresentation in certain mental health disorders so for example like schizophrenia you know there is so much um I think representation in the black community in that it's I feel like it's because so let me let me land with this so um schizophrenia is listed as a side effect of you know frequent cannabis use and as we all know here in this space that cannabis is criminal well it is criminalized but that's by the by but cannabis is is attributed to the black community it's 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 i feel like it's got this sort of common sense synergy to it which i think is highly racist of course but of course when we talk about schizophrenia and you know um the impact on the black community and the impact of you know black young people that have schizophrenia um and the overrepresentation of that um of that mental illness you can see how and where that sort of that disjointed or that kind of bias comes in that whole process and to sort of further that likely you know um with uh, schizophrenia, black people are more likely to be given higher doses of medication and they are less likely to receive psychotherapy. Um, and, you know, touching on, um, again, you mentioned the DM5 handbook, which I think is really wild that they don't mention race. But when we're talking about mental health professionals, we don't really see many um, doctors, therapists, uh, many professionals that look like us, yeah. um, which I think is a significant commentary on, again, pathways and access to this level of academia and, and access and, and, and 
well, for black people actually, to see people that look like them. Again, that positive representation piece. I mean, I can give a personal anecdote. I was trying to access, oh my God, my neck is really being cut off by this thing. I was, um, gosh, big boobs That's really you. do. <laughs> Kind to everything. Um, but yeah, so personal anecdote. I um, I was accessing mental support by a healthcare provider, which I won't name in shame. Um, and um, they gave me a therapist. Um, she was a white woman. I've had many white women therapists before and they've all been great but I feel like in my journey I, I and having that knowledge of you know the impact um and the benefit really of having that cultural likeness especially when you're because mm. I don't want to be I don't want to be talking and having to dissect with you how a particular interaction was microaggressive or how it wasn't I don't want to be doing that with mm -hmm. a white person but having that cultural knowledge now I'm like no I need someone that looks like me that thinks like me um that has the same skin color anyways um and I think as black people, as you know, people of the global majority, I feel like each of us should have that right to exercise that. Yeah. So, anyways, this healthcare provider, I was I was given a, a white lady, but this therapist, first therapist I've ever connected with, where I thought, no, we don't really click at all. Um, and she felt, I felt that she was quite, I guess, closed off in what I needed support for at the time. So I called the healthcare provider and I was like, hey, you know, no personal feelings. Um, I would like to request a black therapist just because I feel like that will be it's just going to be a lot easier. And, and I feel like if we're not communicating now. I don't know how we're going to mm. how we're going to get. And the person on the phone had the audacity to tell me that me requesting a black therapist was racist. I was fucking fuming. I was fucking fuming. Wow. Because um, like, how dare you? How that's not racist at all. I, I don't know where we got that from. It was like it was racial discrimination. So I literally sat him down on that phone. I don't know how long <laughs> on the phone for. I was like, let me tell you something, Buster. Okay, it's not racist to request. Reverse racism. Do you know what I mean? Like, get out. Like, get your head out of your own ass. Like. Let's. I said to him, like, if we same thing. I've I've literally just said here the same spiel. Like, cultural likeness, cultural knowledge, racial literacy is important when accessing mental health, especially as a black person, especially if you're an Asian person, especially if you're a person from an indigenous background. You need, I think, it is imperative to have someone that can identify because again, with racism, it's not as outward mm -hmm. as an expletive yeah, term. Yeah. It's it's so pervasive. It could be you could take it from a body language cue. That's that's how mm -hmm. pervasive racism is. So if I'm talking to a therapist and they're telling me, oh, I don't think that's right. Oh, I don't, I don't have time for it. But anyways, after that whole parade, he was like, no, um, what I meant was, I was like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Um, I did get my black therapist though, um, in the end. And that was that. But talk about disparities. I think you that's shouldn't just... have to challenge it though. That's the thing. And also for me, right, fundamentally what I think it's about is choice. Yes. Because even if you say race, that might not, like this week, for example, we put out, um, with the Wolf Institute, like a new fact sheet on Muslim I mental saw, health, for yeah. example, Congrats. right? So some people want faith-informed mental health services. Yes. Like it depends on what, what the needs is are. what's important. And that's where intersectionality comes in, right? Yes. Into play. So yes. it might be more important for you to have a black a woman than a black, yeah. a black man therapist, yeah. you know? So I think choice, autonomy, flexibility are the key pillars here and they we don't are. have that in a system because we we've got a very broken system that means you just get what you get yeah it's true it really is yeah you know and i would say on your points about schizophrenia um i'd recommend people checking out dr colin king's work on this fantastic um, he talks a lot about like dreptomania and like how What's even dreptomania sorry so, um I'm, I'm probably not going to describe it well at That's all okay. but he talks <laughs> about just like how um it was a condition given to like uh black slaves when they ran away 
So it was Whoa. like they they became mentally ill and that's why they ran away. And then huh? eventually, I think the theory is that this became uh, what we know now as like schizophrenia as like, <laughs> yeah, Whoa. he talks about some of the linkages the links. there. Wow. Um, and I'm not going to just reduce it to that, but like he that's talks insane, a lot though. about like, maybe is that why black people are... Are mm. like over um, diagnosed with this condition. I literally just, as you <laughs> said example, that, I was like, so that probably like, is why. Yeah, so his work is really interesting. I would recommend people Insane. reading it because it's um, much more robust than what I just said. But no, yeah, incredible. I mean, these disparities are huge. And like, even last year, just from data that was leaked to the independent, it showed that black children and um, black mixed race young people were like uh, made up 36% of those in Whoa. mental health hospitals, Whoa. but just 5% of those getting help in community mental health services. Mm. So why is that? Yeah. Do you why? know what I mean? Like, yeah. what is the yeah. reason yeah. behind that? Like, yeah. we need to really yeah. unpack. Yeah. Wow, that's mad. Hello. Sorry if I scared you. While we take a break, I thought it would be a good time to introduce myself. My name is Francesco Ruvolo, proud videographer and editor of To Be Confirmed. Please show your support by hitting the like and subscribe button. Stay tuned to the very end where we'll be playing a fun game called Wavelength in which you at home can play along. Back to the episode now. Hey, hey. ASMR. <laughs> this is... <laughs> You'll hear later on in the episode, but we have dubbed this our symbolic, I guess, reincarnation of the white folding chair of the Battle of Montgomery on the 8th of August, a month today, actually, oh, yes. of 2023. But sorry, don't mind me fanning myself off. So um, to continue, um, I guess, our conversation around mental health disparities, why is it, do you think that, you know, we see these barriers in black children, in children of colour? Yeah, so I guess obvious, the obvious one is that racism and discrimination is like inherently baked into the system. Mm -hmm. So the lack of like understanding from the design of services all yeah. the way through to like delivery mm -hmm. is racism features as like an issue, I yeah. would say. Um, and then another issue is like um, stigma comes up a lot. So, yeah. you know, obviously we work in the mental health space yes. and we know how, how much stigma impacts people's um, help seeking behaviours and things it's like true. that. But we've made like so much like significant strides over mm. the last few decades around this. When it comes to the black community, I think like um, we're starting to like understand uh, how stigma works both ways. So mm. black communities are stigmatized anyway, yeah. and they have to deal with a double stigma of True. facing racism and mental health. Yeah, mental ill health. Yeah, if you like, and then also. Um, Stigma might be perpetuated within communities where some people, at least anyway, in my community might mm. recommend that you use alternative forms of like support yeah. over, you know, health professionals mm. advice. And a lot of this is actually because of mistrust, misunderstandings true, yeah. from the health service in the first place. Yeah. But I think people write it off as saying, oh, this community doesn't understand mental health. It's or, true. Yeah. Or like they value other forms of support. Yeah. So those are factors. And then... Um, more recently, like when I've been working with young people, they talk a lot about like the lack of culturally and racially responsive mental yeah. health services. We talked about yeah. this as well yeah. in the past. Yeah. And like they just don't feel, you know, the the, the intervention or the setting that the support is given reflects like their identity. So like what's the point of going yeah. if they don't see themselves? So all those things really like contribute to like young black people not getting the timely support they need. And then what happens is their problems worsen over time. Yeah. And that's why then we might see them as like young adults coming up that's to, true. you know, like yeah. crisis services. So yeah. it's all like 
letting these problems fester and become more yeah, so serious. It's a snowball, isn't it? It's that yeah. snowball effect. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Thank you for that, um, Kadra. Um, I feel like that leads us perfectly into the next question, um, which is what double standards do you see in the way that black youth are treated in society? And do you think that this enables empathy from other people when relating to or speaking to or about black youth? Um, so before you answer that question, I really want to sort of, I guess, hopefully to spice this up a little bit. I want to, in this research, I I googled each of the terms and I screenshotted what came up. And I thought for mm. me in that research process, it was so interesting to see how the algorithm um, really showed up for mm -hmm. black youth. And I say that ironically. So for those of us that are listening into the podcast and not watching, um, there's a screenshot of um, literally my the first result page of when I've typed in the phrase black youth innocence. So on the screen here, we see the first result, which is from the, let me not break my own neck, um, which is from the American Psychological Association, which we see black boys viewed as older, less innocent than whites. Um, second, by the Washington Post, um, black kids, typical childhood is often seen as um, a crime. And the second slide there, you see again the rage of innocence, which I thought was a, I mean, this is a book actually, um, but great, just not great, but, you know, juxtaposition there and just, yeah, more sort of results here really in terms of the, the phrase innocence, the response to innocence, the way that the algorithm, um, you know, categorizes blackness in, in um, proximity to innocence really. So yeah, centralized back on the on the on the question really yeah what double standards do you see in the way that black youth are treated in society and you know do you think this you know brings apathy when people are speaking to about black youth yeah no absolutely and obviously all those examples majority of them kind of um criminalize young yeah. people so you can already see what mm -hmm. the double standard is there mm -hmm. and obviously when we met at the conference last year yeah. um janine davis uh, the doctor yes. janine davis she was speaking there and she yeah. has been uh, developing you know some ground groundbreaking work and frameworks yes to highlight um the impact of adultification yes. on black children and basically that just means where uh, where black young people and children in particular are denied their innocence mm -hmm. and they're treated more as adults than they are as children. Yes. So they're guilty until proven innocence yeah. rather than the yeah. other way around, right? Yeah. That's the presumption. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we've seen countless examples of this in mm -hmm. the press recently where um, obviously there was the young uh, woman in Hackney who oh was a young uh, child, I should actually say, because I think she's under 16, um, who was strip searched in school and like oh adultification God. played a part there because yeah. it was just the assumption of mm -hmm. criminality yeah. uh, associated with her identity and racism, basically, mm -hmm. um, that she was, you know, and, and the whole process behind it was mm -hmm. just not... Um, keeping safeguarding in mind yeah. in terms of as you would normally yeah. children in a school setting yeah. and yeah. when it comes to strip search. So huge double standards, um, you know, and it goes back to the kind of earlier reflections as yeah. sometimes you're independent and sometimes you're not. Yeah. <laughs> this is the case yeah. where you're like hyper made to feel independent yes. Um, yes. by the systems that surround young people. So, um, and obviously it definitely fuels apathy, um, in, in lots of ways, you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm, in that mm -hmm. sense. So, um, yeah, I think more people need yeah. to know about adultification, 100%. read up on it and, you know, put it to an end as well. A hundred percent. I definitely agree with you. Um, you know, following on what you've said and, and the clear, I guess the word that we're looking for is, yeah, I mean, we've said it already, double standards. Um, 
it's it's it, it shouldn't be so painfully clear to see such a disparity, especially against you know our demographic, against you know um, our community as a whole. Um, I was looking at a report titled. Uh, it was written by Jessica Pereira. And it's called How Black Working Class Youth Are Criminalised and Excluded in the English School System. It was published this year um, and she writes, and I quote, um, there is a long history of new right, so that is right wing for folks that don't know. Um, and I hope you're getting, you're, you're clocking on to where I'm going with this, with right wing politics and the government that we have in power and all of that. Cool. There is a long history of new right thinking in brackets that came to prominence under Thatcherism another Tory, um, placing the blame for racial disadvantage on the failures of the black family, which for me, when I read that sentence, I was like, that's an aha moment. Like, of course they are. They, of course they do that. Of course they, they, they place the structural neglect and the structural incompetence of our institutions, such as healthcare on, you know, the black family, on the black community. Um, and of course, we this this revelation for me identified how we see that propagandized as well in media as well, and like I said, with the linking and two and two being four, um, you know, we are thirteen years into a Tory government, so let that be what you will. Do you know what I mean? Um, in terms of innocence, the criminalization of blackness that that we've spoken about in in several bits and pieces, in terms of you know double standards. Stop and search is a huge, mm -hmm. huge intimidation tactic used by the police force. Um, as of 2023, there were 27.2 stop and searches per um, 1,000 people for black people. That's the stat. Uh, and then uh, in comparison, there were 5.6 stop and searches for every 1,000 white people, which again, you see the um, disparity there. Section 60 orders. So for those across the pond, Section 60 is a power that's used by the police force in the UK. Um, Section 60 is another word of saying suspicionless searches. Um, so by, ooh, actually, let me not say something I don't know, but basically um, with a Section 60, um, they have absolutely any and every reason to search you, even if you aren't committing a crime, even if you aren't in possession of anything yeah, um, right. illegal. And um, black people are 18 times more likely to be stopped and searched under this power than white people which again, if we look at the impact, like for example, like, I mean, this example isn't a stop and search, but the Croydon situation, the mother that was accused of not paying her TFL fare, then the child literally, and the footage of that as well, the child seeing the mother for £1.20, <laughs> like, for a TFL yeah. fair, like I, I yeah. don't, I don't understand that. But seeing that kind of power, the mm -hmm. and also, I, I've also noticed there's such a, there is always excessive police presence and anything that is with blackness like mm -hmm. the lady that got that um got stopped and, and whatever accosted for that tfl fare how many four or five police officers for mm -hmm. one person mm -hmm. right okay um and you know to follow on the criminalization of blackness we see that and we've said this in different words earlier today but we see the marrying of violence and blackness as, as a singular mm -hmm entity um and of course we see that in media representations an example that came to mind as i was piecing this together was um in the senseless and i really want to capitalize not capitalize but state very clearly the senseless murder of nine-year-old um olivia pratt corbell in liverpool if you remember mm -hmm. um basically the story of um she was in her it was unfortunate basically in her family home um and the two assailants broke into the house and there was a dispute between the two assailants but unfortunately she was caught in the crossfire um now in the wake of when this um originally happened i believe it was the end of oh that was me talking really quickly sorry guys um 
when that uh, incident happened at the end of last year, um, I believe there was a lot of uproar. And understandably, this is a you know a nine year old girl that's died for no reason. You know that's a that's a life loss, and that's a family that's going through that grief. Um, and there was a discussion on Good Morning Britain with this. Um, he called well, anyways, they call themselves a journalist, um, but this journalist called um, Andrew Pierce, who on Good Morning Britain made the comment um, that the shooting of Olivia Pratt was um, reflective of an issue of crime in the black community, which was like, whoa, like, mm-hmm. hold on a second. One way to, you know, sick, sick, yeah, sick all of the racist dogs on us, like one way mm-hmm. to criminalise us even further. Um, and thankfully, um, a lawyer called um, Maverine Cole, and she's also a newsreader, she was on that panel when Andrew Pierce made that comment, she set him straight. She immediately that's said, like, there was also another panellist on Andrew Pierce's side, she was a white woman, and she also, that's what you call allyship right there. Well, an <laughs> example of allyship, actually, and we not give too many flowers. But, um, yeah, those two women but particular focus on uh, Mavering Cole immediately said like that's not on like yeah, yeah. that's not right and you could see in Andrew Pierce's face he just was like oh uh, uh, um, <laughs> like uh, uh. Um, but <laughs> anyways literally literally um, but to clarify for those in the room um, the perpetrators were in fact not black so it's like again that racist connotation of you know even if they were Please, like, I mean, why yeah. would you use that as, as an opportunity yeah. to make a comment on a situation where yeah. you know is a is a product of social economic decline and disenfranchisement? Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that level, and also the way when I was assessing the way Andrew Pierce was talking, the body language, the way he was dismissive, as if that was an instinctive thing to say, and it's a fact. As a fact, like yeah, it's not yeah. a fact. It was. Do you know what I mean? Like I just thought yeah. it was so. You know that level of apathy, that level of like, yeah. oh, like yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's a them problem. But you know that that just what you described. I wouldn't even say it's just particular to right thinking because mm. I actually think it's across the political spectrum. That's true. Actually, you know, the yeah. opposition have had members in the past who have attributed it to black fathers not being yes. in the picture and yeah. all this kind of stuff. It all yeah. adds to the same same thing type of argument yeah no it's true <laughs> which you know yeah yeah, yeah it makes no fucking sense nope. but yeah thank you for that um but that leads us actually i think um pretty nicely into question number six so the question is um education is one of the first experiences um, of socializing with different people from a multitude of backgrounds class and experience from policing hairstyles to child strip searches, incessant bullying and lack of safeguarding from responsible adults, how should schools ensure that they are being that they are equitably safeguarding the lives of black children? So firstly, I think it's very important for anyone working in schools to actually understand the link between racism and young people's well-being and actually I think that conference we attended also last year I keep referring to it yes but like lots of people made the point that racism should be seen as a safeguarding issue Mm -hmm. and that's the first step that actually is recognized as such whether it's perpetuated by people within the school yeah amongst you know pupils themselves outside of school whatever it should be kind of recognized as such right so that's the first thing that like um, again, you need to understand and accept that mm-hmm. it's a daily reality mm-hmm. for your mm-hmm. pupils from racialized backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And like for me, I think, um, again, then to confront it, you need to take like a very multi-systemic approach. It's yes. not, a, there's no single 
solution out yeah. there. So An you intersectional take, approach. Yeah, a whole and a whole school approach to yes. it. Yes. This when you hear about like schools that have such effective practice generally, mm. they even involve dinner ladies and everyone <laughs> in the wow. whole process yeah. in like understanding how do we have a healthy a thriving school environment so it should be within that context for me it doesn't you know it doesn't need to be its own standalone alone thing yeah um and I think you know thinking about those uh practices and interventions that exist in schools that mm. we need to kind of like challenge again this isn't a formal organizational position of mine but mm. just thinking about like the debates around policing in school yeah. and how that led to the child queue incident and many wow. others yeah. Um, there's a charity in Greater Manchester called Kids of Colour and they've been doing wow. lots of campaigning around nice. getting rid of police in schools because is that actually the solution for keeping no. children safe? It's daunting. And, you know, for any of us, even if I was a child going to school, seeing police officers I'd around. I'd be scared that would, as hell. Yeah. I still and am scared as hell. Even some schools get, you know, people pupils get searched upon entry to school, what? which is like, you know, and wow. all these kind of practices that you hear about. I don't think... It really is about keeping children safe. Because if that's the case, think about up, upstreaming the type of support mm. that you create, working with your communities, your local authorities, the families. Yeah. Again, there's always like such a major disconnect between yeah. parents and it's schools true. and stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah, I think all of those things for me would help make a more equitable safeguarding approach. Yeah. Um, I need to be kept in mind. Fabulous. Thank you for that reflection. Um even actually following on um, from what you've just shared, um, in a 2023 report by the House of Commons on racial discrimination in schools, um, or it says, actually, this is directly quoted from the piece um, here, all state-funded schools in England must, one, have an anti-bullying policy and a behaviour policy, two, comply with the Equality Act of 2010 and not unlawfully discriminate against pupils or prospective pupils on the grounds of race or other protected characteristics, and three, um, uh, in line with the Public Sector Equality Duty, PSED, um, I don't know what that means, but that's what they put there. Um, which again, when I read it, I was like, oh, so what are the recommendations for private schools then? But again, we've just discussed some of the things that are happening in schools. So, you know, on a governmental level, are these, well, the recommendations aren't even clear enough or spe specific no, enough <laughs> to, to really provide that, you know, that insight or that care. Again, with schools, we have Ofsted. We know the disparities in school qualifications in Ofsted as well. How, you know, do they take an anti-racist intersectional approach? <laughs> intersectional approach I mean, in looking could. at schools? They could. Let's yes. say that. They could take an intersectional <laughs> approach in, in how they assess schools. So it's, again, I guess, to, to simplify it, okay, to simplify it for those of us at home that are in denial in the year of 2023 that race does not have an influence on everything, please take a drink of water with me. <laughs> take a deep breath. Okay. Myself. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Woosa. Everything is to do with race. Okay. If it isn't clear from what we're discussing right here today, it should be now you've heard it. Um, and that's only focusing on what education and the government as we know it. So there's that um you know we're talking about a safe environment safe you know uh safeguarding schools and when i was thinking about this question I, I took it i take things quite literally i suppose i'm a capricorn but um i was thinking about the literal like safe space like you know the buildings that schools are mm -hmm. in and as we know in the news um currently there are plenty of school closures due to concrete um construction issues which i think after grenfell um I think that's quite ironic, actually, um, that there's now some 
insight into how buildings are being made, but then they're being poorly made, but then data is allegedly being wiped off systems, but then people don't want to pay up for Grenfell or take accountability for Grenfell or these things. Anyways, these schools um, that have been affected, um, from what I understand, currently the government have not actually released the list of schools that have been affected, um, which for me provides an interesting reflection around, you know, postcode areas, you know, like you Mm. mentioned, the schools Mm -hmm. that maybe, you know, uh, have those extra search measures in. Um, And of course, the density of the population, you know, the ethnic backgrounds in the areas Mm -hmm. where the schools are closed in, you know, are they getting Mm -hmm. support from, you know, teachers? Are they getting, you know, uh, homeschooling packs, you know, for low income families? Mm -hmm. How are the ch- children going to yeah. eat? Do you know what I mean? I mean, and why did it get? Why did we? Why did we get to this point where you know kids mean? are meant to be going back to school in a few days, and then this is a discovery? And we had a whole which has long been known. But do you yeah. know what I mean? And we had a whole yeah, six week holiday. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't. Know. I don't get it. Um, yeah. And to say that as well, with the whole building debacle and, and this whole debacle, the Department of Education has been found out. It is on other media outlets before people jump down my throat. Um, the Department of Education just finalised on a £32 million office refurbishment, which I think like is very <laughs> audacious to say the least, in a cost of living crisis. Um, and furthermore, you know, with failing young people, with black young people, again, my mind goes through to the A-level debacle of 2021 where Gavin Williamson was in office and the whole issue of, you know, predicted grades being higher in mm-hmm. richer boroughs, mm-hmm. richer areas than there were of, um, you know, socioeconomically deprived areas. Um, you know, side note, actually, that that summer of 2021, it was really heart like heartening. Is that the right word? Yeah, it was really heartening. It was really warming for me to see such young people um, really get outside and say, like, give me my oh, grades. Of like in their droves I was so yeah, like yeah. I remember being like you know what I, I you worked go. with some of them and I was like wow. I can't believe that you were predicted at A yeah. and they've given you a D what do you mean <laughs> or like what do you yeah. mean you know? it's mad yeah. it's mad but yeah thank goodness that's been resolved to some extent um but yeah, uh, even what you mentioned about Janine um, Davis, um, you know, she is cited as the UK's foremost researcher and thought leader in adultification. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually says, similar to what you mentioned earlier about having that intersectional approach, you know, she says, and I quote, if equity, diversity and inclusion is not centred in child safeguarding practice, regardless of the intervention and approaches taken, adultification is likely to occur, which again, really mm-hmm. apt to, to yeah. say the least. Now, thinking about children in schools and neurodiversity as well, um, statistically, um, I did a, a, an Instagram live um, uh, with the CEO of Black Send Mamas UK. Um, basically, yeah, I'll talk a bit about them a bit later. Um, but I did a, a talk on, yeah, race and neurodiversity. Awesome organisation. Um, yeah, amazing work, amazing woman, like just, yeah, great stuff. Please support the the cause. Um, and we discussed a lot of the um, disproportionality as well in, you know, for parents, but also for, you know, children that mm-hmm. are neurodiverse, that are going through school and who are black. Um, and some of those research statistics that we went through were, you know, there is clearly an ethnic disproportionality in the identification of special educational needs in England. So, for instance, Black Caribbean and uh, Pakistani pupils are overrepresented in moderate learning difficulties and Indian and Chinese pupils are underrepresented. Um now, uh, on top of that, under 1.5 million pupils in England have special educational needs, but only 350,000 out of that 1.5 million have educational health plans, which means what? So just under 1.2 are left hanging. Like how? how? So we don't have money for it. You don't have money, but you're paying <laughs> £32 to do up new chairs and new carpet. Do better. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God. Um 
you know, and then also, like I said, thinking about, you know, the, the, the role of neurodivergence, you know, that even that experience for children in schools, you know what I mean? Like, again, I'm thinking back to my own, ex well, not my personal experience, but looking at, you know, my witnessing of experiences, should I say, you know, people who were neurodivergent and the attitudes that was had back in the day, the conversations weren't as progressive as they were no. in present day. You know, no. people used to be bullied for, you know, for being autistic, for having I mean, ADHD. Dude, to a certain extent, yeah. Just, yeah. I think we have an understanding, but the support is still yeah. the same sort of levels as it was, as back, it was back in the day. It's true. You know. But my mind, when I was, again, going through this research again, was just, I feel for the children. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like, if you're part of that 1.1 something that has no support outside of your parents, like, what is that like for you at school? How are you able yeah, to identify yeah. to your, you know, your teachers, you know, if something's not quite right? Um, with that being said, you know, statistically, black boys um, are more likely to be diagnosed with autism than black girls are. And diagnoses for both autism and ADHD are um, are late for black youth, yeah, which I think yeah. is absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, uh, on top of that, um, I want to, uh, yeah, on top of that, in terms of education being the first experience of diversity of culture and perspectives, um, you know, I can't, yeah, I can't negate the role of the school curriculum in this as well. So, you know, the role of culture for myself as a black woman, for yourself as a black woman, mm -hmm. you know, coming into school, you want to learn about, well, presumably you want to learn about so many things, but also you want to learn about, well, obviously aside from your own family giving your history, but you want to learn about your history in schools. How is it represented? How how do we, how do we get here essentially? Um, and I wanted to touch on actually something that um, Kemi Badenoch who is the Equalities Minister, um, mentioned. So there was a lot of conversation in 2021 about changing the curriculum to include um, information around the colonisation of, you know, um, Africa and also the role of Britain in the colonial yeah. empire. Mm -hmm. um, and Kemi Badenoch, um, I like to say, not all skin folk are kin folk, and I'll leave that as my professional comment. Um, but Kemi Badenoch um, likened um, that introduction to the curriculum as breaking the law um which i thought was like wow okay cool um and then when you think of well in what yeah. way in what way <laughs> how how is in in uh, what's the word how is enriching people's racial literacy and and knowledge and also yeah it's knowledge. not even just that Wrong. that history is british history that's just what it is. It is what it is. It's not, it's not even about racial literacy. Yeah. This is just actually facts what happened. Why do I know about the Watergate scandal, but not about Please. the Atlantic slave trade? Literally, I'm learning about the Cold War and all this ish, but I'm not learning about anything that's thrilling to, yeah. to me. Like, it's wrong. Yeah. Um, but then on top of that, in the same breath, you, um, again, I you see things in the media. I saw things in the media where, for instance, um, you know, regarding the education of race and, and developing that knowledge, um, or the lack of education. Critical race theory, which it isn't. But okay. <sighs> Honestly. Oh. But, you know, the lack of education, you know, I think indirectly affects the safeguarding of children because I saw an article where, you know, there are murmurs of how um, people being taught about white privilege um, makes white students feel uncomfortable, white pupils, I should say, feel uncomfortable. There was an article I wrote where, not I wrote, sorry, I read where um, they were saying how white privilege and white fragility is ignoring the issues faced by working class children. Um, there's an article from The Telegraph that, um, yeah, that reflects what I just said, um, which I found quite interesting because I was thinking, you know, what was that when was that dialogue had by teachers and how do they suddenly have that analysis to think about, you know, the impact of talking about race 
on on any type of well on black children on brown children and furthermore did they have this same thinking when they were reading of mice and men in class and getting people and people to say the m word and all yeah. that ish well, like quite. do you know what i mean like quite proudly oh no no it's just in the book it's just in the book i didn't say it it's just no you were comfortable using racial profanity and encouraging students to use racial profanity but not thinking about race and racism and furthermore again in talking about race and racism and talk you know they, they brought in white um working class boys i really want to 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 state here white privilege does not respect class okay that that's not negating the the so well, i guess the economic issues that can be faced um but whether or not people want to um i think you need to reconcile with that idea but whether or not people want to reconcile with that idea if you are of white heritage, of white skin, you are a benefactor of the legacy of slavery. That that's mm. that's just point blank period. Okay. And it's so ingrained that you are unaware of it and that when you are made to be aware of it, it is there's that moment of oh, what? What? How dare you? Well, black people get privileged because they have to say what they need to say, and we ended slavery and we did this. You started the mm -hmm. mess, you cleaned it up. Don't try and claim some talk some sort of, I guess, um higher ground. Okay. Yeah. Um, how does racism in schools then, do you think, impact the mental health of black youth? So, yeah, I guess, again, in a similar way that experiencing racism harms your mental health, that plays out in a school setting as well. Um, we know, again, thinking about school uniform policy and the restrictions around that. And like, you know, if you're, for example, from a Muslim background, being told what colour, there was a school where the, the pupils actually organised a sit-in in their playground mm. last wow. summer because the school was trying to dictate that. what colour or what shape and size hijab you should be allowed to wear whatever. what so all the children in solidarity actually had a say <laughs> so I, love that. I love all, that all this stuff and and there was a big focus in that school i think they had a new leader who may, may have since left about instilling british values within the school and like that being demonstrated by having a flag in the playground and all this Good kind of night. stuff and it's like Okay. You you, but this is that? in a very diverse area. And what are you doing to actually promote the identities and uh -huh. celebrate the backgrounds of those peoples in your in your place? So yeah, so again, school uniform kind of policies, hair discrimination, we touched on a little yes. bit more. Again, another incredible group of young people came up with the campaign, the Halo Code, where nice. they're trying to get schools and workplaces to sign up to this. Um, yes, charter. I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, you've heard of it. And I think even in America, going beyond that, it might have been California, if I'm not mistaken, but they've got like a Hair Discrimination Act and they're trying wow. to also push for something like that hair where that nice. actually it should be illegal for you to be discriminated against mm. on the basis of your hair. And you might think, why is that related to mental health? Of course it is, because you're being told the way that you just appear and come to school is like a literally, problem. Literally. And that you must, you know, again, these are the kind of things that like feel um, like imposter syndrome for young people yeah. from a very young age. But also it's kind of like living a double life in it a is, way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I have to come to school with this white mask, right? Literally Got white France mask. Hanon, white mask. Yes. What's it called? I think Black it's face, white mask. I think it's, yeah. um, I think it's like, what, oh, it's so embarrassing White mask, now. black face. I think it, that's, let me Google yeah, that yeah. real quickly. But it's, I know what you're saying because I know yeah, the title. It's just kind of living this double life. When you can just be yourself. Like we talk we talk a lot, especially in our sector, right? That's but it. Black skin, white masks. Yeah, yeah France yeah. Oh, yeah, That's it. There yeah. we go, yes. You know, about bringing your whole self to work. Mm. But we're not allowing children to bring their whole yeah. selves to school. To school it's and wrong. obviously there has to be 
some degree of like standardization, which I understand, but that's going to look different for different yep. groups of young people. And yeah. like just to accommodate those um, diversity in that way doesn't actually impact their educational outcomes. Because that's what no. I want to see. How does wearing an afro or not having your hair cut to a certain level How? actually impact your attainment? Do you know what I mean? You, you know? think the hair is coming from my brain. Do you I know. know what I mean? So all those kind of things like, you know, and we, again, we touched on the um, curriculum earlier, yes. not being reflective. That, that again, makes you feel like this world and this, you know, yeah. all the systems around it that have been built up, like you've not been a part of it when you have, for example. No, literally, you have such a refined, like, knowledge. Like, yeah. again, I didn't know all of or everything that I know now from the schooling system. I had to do mm -hmm. that work myself. Mm -hmm. And again, the lack of diversity in teacher, teachers and senior leaders in the education yes. system as well. So again, even thinking about teaching as an aspiration for your career mm. doesn't come up. So um, we at the centre, um, we've been working with Diana Award and UK Youth in a programme called Young Changemakers. And basically we've been supporting young people, black people across the country to come up with their, social, their own social actions around tackling racism and mental mm. health. And one of the key ones that they came up with initially was a, a group of young people called Not So Micro. You can find them on all sort okay. of like social platforms. And they're like um, trying to highlight the impact of racial microaggressions mm. on young people's mental health in school. And like they're calling for anti-racism and anti-microaggression training to form part of mandatory teacher training wow. and they've had a petition they've got like some new funding to like deliver training in schools themselves and this is all youth-led and wow. this is you know That's it amazing. shouldn't be up to us adults deciding what we yeah. think is most important to them this came naturally That's from amazing. them and it again aligns with the evidence we talked about yeah, so yeah you know I think people need to take it seriously and it's I high agree. time that we had something like High that. time. I definitely agree. And thank you for that. Um, again, we've touched on this. Yeah, we've touched on this basically. Um, but again, um, based, uh, well, coming from the Running Me Trust's um, research, um, some of the common themes that they have identified in the pervasiveness of racism in schools include low levels of racial literacy among school staff. So what you were saying about taking a whole school approach, you know, from the dinner ladies right to the pupils themselves. Um You've mentioned this as well. Policing activity and presence in schools being concentrated in areas with higher deprivation, which, of course, tend to have um, larger black and minority ethnic populations. Um, again, I think what we're part of what we discussed already um, as I was going through this, my brain was like, what if? And I think it is. What if all of this restriction is to break the spirit and the self-esteem of like black folks, of black youth? Um, you know, um, and the reason I say that, not only in just how, you know, we're meant to present ourselves and the way our hair grows and whatnot, you know, thinking about, you know, career options. You know, when you're in secondary school, for instance, you start looking at, you know, what do you want to do in college and what study, subjects you want to study? Um, and so often you see or hear or experience yourself as a young black person where uh, a lot of teachers will redirect people's passions, if, especially if they're creative, especially if they want to go into anything administrative. Um, I noticed that it can be quite, um, you know, oh, just, you know, maybe if you want to go into healthcare or if you want to go into social care or maybe, you know. Why well, have we all that. heard this, by the way? <laughs> I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer. And it's like, oh, you know, maybe you can be an administrator. Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe you can be a receptionist. Yeah. And it's like, why are black people not supposed to have dreams, please? Mm -hmm. um, and of course, unfortunately, well, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's unfortunate. I guess it is because how many of those dreams may have been crushed? But we see a lot of the, you know, a, a huge, 
huge population of the sanitation and the healthcare industries are of black people, are of people of colour widely. And like, migrants as well. And migrants. intersecting factor. Yeah. <laughs> and if we see the way the government are treating migrants uh-huh. and using them as if they're disposable tissues and encouraging people to spew out the most disgusting migrant rhetoric, it, it again, it's, it's this, well, it's the it's the legacy of British colonialism it's picking and taking and then discarding as if we're absolutely nothing mm-hmm. like it it boils my blood um to, you know do you know what I mean like yeah. it, it it jars me so much like again back on my you started this shit run like you can't sit there and colonize countries you can't you know cause genocide on so many people across the world okay I want to I want to take away from the not take away I want to sort of shift away from the black diaspora for a second across the whole world colonize the whole world steal from them pillage their cities force them into religious and social practices and then years centuries down the line you have the audacity to tell them that they have no right to respond to you the way they want to respond to you they have no right to criticize your legacy or how your how your legacy or how your actions have impacted the current day for all of these countries like I, oh, or it, just survive and live yeah. as basic as that they can't be allowed to do you know what I mean like oh I mean? so we can't we can't try and make you a know, name for ourselves we can't alone live criticize, but they can't just have a normal standard of living it just it, it really yeah. hurts me because it's like all all of these countries all of these cultures and again I'm so happy and grateful for us as a black diaspora yeah, yeah. but for other cultures and countries that have been colonised by the British that they have still had a, you know the opportunity to hold on to their cultures and hold yeah, on to yeah. their legacies because it's not like again people want to um and ah and oh I'm British and get out of my country shut the fuck up man shut the fuck up like don't don't you have no right to tell me how to feel when your ancestors literally like enslaved my people like don't anyways before I go on another rampage <laughs> um, we see here as well with institutional racism you know we mentioned this before with young black boys being adultified young black boys young black boys are nearly four times more likely to receive a permanent school exclusion twice as likely to um and twice as likely, sorry, to, uh, to receive a fixed period exclusion, which again, insane. Um, 49% of black people felt that racism was the biggest barrier to attaining success in school, um, while 50% said that the biggest barrier was their teacher saying that their perceptions of them were being seen as too aggressive. Again, that piece on innocence, you know. Um, and that's a fact, because I don't know if you've seen the documentary, I think it was on BBC about schools for like the people deemed educationally subordinate. Yes. You know what I mean? Sorry, yes. it was based on a book and the name of the author escapes me at this time. But basically, they actually had special schools for black wow. people they deemed educationally subordinate or wow. actually many of them had like undiagnosed um, special educational yeah. needs or mental health problems and mm. stuff but some of them it was just because they were black and they came to this country that they were deemed as like less you know wow. intellectually able and stuff like that and That's that legacy racism. still again continues in education Literally. I think it was only up until like the 80s or something wow. those schools were but even that. then that's the product of medical racism as yeah. well and eugenics of course, which of course all of it insane like course, absolutely yeah. insane um i want to sort of quickly smooch smooch i don't know smooch on we'll, we'll use that as a word um <laughs> you know furthermore racism in schools um you know we touched on child q very 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 lightly um the story of child q i don't want to 
bore anyone again with the semantics the information is out there but long story short a 14 year old black girl was strip searched um, she was also menstruating so she was expected and she had to unfortunately take off her menstruation garment um, in the presence of uh, poli- uh, I don't know but uh, amount of police officers without a responsible adult present not that the, uh, the adult would have made a difference anyway so that traumatic experience but she was strip searched and as a result of that that impacted their mental health severely um, and from what I last checked um, the family were taking legal action against the police which I don't know what the results are now but I hope they got something substantial from the um, force themselves um, and in that with racism from schools it was it was multi-level because not only was there you know um, facing I guess not only was there the insight from the police force, the police force which has now been categorised as institutionally racist and sexist, but also we're talking about the school system. Again, a school system that is already, you know, pulled and, and put against black black children. That's ASMR. <laughs> ASMR for those at home. Um, you know, I believe Chucky was on her way to an exam, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, so you're now hindering her academic or, Opportunities. Or, or in the middle of the exam and then I think it was that they smelt like weed yes and again Which, back to that piece on schizophrenia yeah. that you mentioned that criminalisation mm, that everything yeah. is interlinked and it, it boils my blood and again personally I'm of the opinion that the officers should have been named and shamed um, but again as we've seen in, in the politics I guess of, of the force in particular the power of the badge <laughs> clearly has no bounds but Child Q is one example and to take that even further um, as, a res- as a result of Child Q um, of all of the boys that were strip searched um, in the UK between 2018 and 2020 by all of the well, all boys I say all children sorry so let me start that again majority of boys right yeah. majority of boys yeah. so there are, between 2018 and 2020 650 children were strip searched Child Q was strip searched in 2020 just for context um, with that being said of the 650 58% um, of the boys were black of all boys sorry that were of all boys let me start again fuck Jesus Christ follow stay with me of the 650 children that were strip searched of all of the boys that were strip searched in that 650 58% were black as described by the police officer and of the 50 of the um, 650 strip searches 53% of all of them had no further action taken so can you imagine the tra- all of that trauma, all of that hassle for for no for no reason? And that's the same with um, uh, stop stop and search anyway, right? In terms of the lack of like yeah positive outcomes yeah. for them. No, it's insane. Yeah. Um, if we could go to the next slide, please, my love. Um, so following on from racism in school. So for those listening in, um, there is a tweet thread which I am sharing at the moment, uh, where someone on Twitter tweeted the following question. The people of colour who went to a predominantly white school, would you send your children to a predominantly white school? Um, so if we could go to the next slide, please. Um, so all of the, well, there's a pl- multitude of tweets on the I screen. Saw this, uh, exchange as yeah. Well. So there's a multitude of tweets here, which range from um, absolutely the fuck not. This shit is traumatising going from a predominantly black school to where you are maybe uh, what one of 15 to 20 in a grade of 100 um no it's not preparing them for the real world and likely some things we've got to unpack at home daily one person said god forbid shit boring as hell someone else said never ever ever again um another person said based on my experience i wouldn't 
Um, another person said, it wouldn't be my intention, but my priority would be that the school is of an excellent standard first. The reality is we live in Britain. So depending on the area I raise my children in, it's likely. Um, and someone else said, I'm a lot more conscious for my own child. The school being good as well as diverse is important for us. And the final bit, which I will mention here, is another person said in response to the question, I don't know, but I can tell you that it was character building, mm-hmm. um, which I, I concur with that. In all caps. <laughs> no, in all caps as well, literally. <laughs> character building in caps, um, which, of course, um, for those that are watching this episode, you can see all of the users on here are um, of an ethnic minority. I think they're all black, but of an ethnic minority here. And to see that the predominant word that stands out is no, um, should say a lot in in relation to what we've just shared here with the impact of racism in schools. Um, what was your experience like? Like, yeah, I mean, just to reflect on that quickly, I guess like for me, um, a predominantly white school doesn't equal a good school. So yes, just to thank some of the yeah people who say actually it depends on if it's good or yeah. not. Like those two things are not equal. I actually um, I say this quite a lot to people. Right, I grew up in South London in a very diverse part of it. And my primary and my secondary school was the most diverse places that I've ever been in in my life. Probably my secondary school was uh, majority black Mm. as well. And I say this to a lot of people. I didn't know, like, I didn't really deep what it meant to be black until I went to university. Same. Same. (laughs) Because it didn't matter when I was in... In uh, in secondary school, I had Colombian friends, Jamaican friends, Vietnamese That's friends. Lucky, it was United Colors Benetton. Yeah. Nobody cared what you were. You just were You're from lucky. whatever background you were yeah. from, and everyone got along. Like yeah. there yeah. was maybe there was some racial tensions that I might have been naive about, but we maybe mainly from the teachers I would say yeah not amongst the people it's like everyone was great oh, that's, <laughs> you know and then yeah. I'll go to secondary school and it's a complete exactly this like yeah 90, uh, sorry university 90 percent white probably yeah. yeah and then it's like the black people stick together or yeah. the people of color stick together they do yeah. yeah and I was just like what is this and then the world of work mirrors that too yeah, it really does so I was just like does. whoa my whole life just flipped yeah no it's it's so so true um well, I guess to counteract that like my primary school experience was amazing I loved my primary school I have such fond memories of my primary school very ethnically, ethnically diverse so I was born in London raised um, in London northwest London for those of us who mm. are from northwest north north um, so it was very diverse um, and then I went to secondary school in Cambridge so I like to say I'm from London and Cambridge because um, my formative years were in Cambridge um, and I had an okay experience but again at the time I wasn't really aware of my race I don't mm. think I really I, I was predominantly aware um, Cambridge is a, is a largely it's starting to get multicultural because we have Anglia Ruskin University there um, but it it's a predominantly white city really um, and as I was looking at the, in res- the tweets in response to the main question I can think of only one example where like I felt like oh oh okay I'm a black girl but oh okay no this is this is racism but anyways I'll, I'll dive into it so in secondary school, um, I had a, a, a crush. Um, and huge side note, my best friend, she said to me once that my I get a lot of flack for my taste in in my crushes, but especially my taste in men. And she said to me one day that my taste in men is is as if is like if someone chewed gum, spat it out, stomped on the ground, <laughs> and there was hair coming out of that gum, and that's a representation of my taste in men is like. But you know what? She was right, because you'll hear this story in a minute. So this particular person I had a crush on this 
this was like the crush of all crushes. Like um, this person was a Michael. So fun fact, my Michael Jackson super fan. I love, I love his music, love everything. Um, and the crush I had was on this person that was also a Michael Jackson super fan. So like, oh, I thought he was going to say his name is Michael Jackson. Oh no, can you imagine? Can you imagine? No, 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 no. I'm not trying to get any. No, no, no. Um, but the person was also a Michael Jackson super fan. So like to the point where like in my secondary school, you could identify the both of us like, like that. Um, but with this particular Michael Jackson super fan, and I guess, you know, part of that is growing up and being naive and, and whatnot and learning, you know, your self-esteem. But this guy, you know, I get you don't like someone. That's fine. I didn't get the memo. That's okay. Um, but this person would consistently racially like assault me. So like I'd be talking to him and he'd be calling me like gollywog, the M word with the hard R, um, literally like saying shit like um, about how like he'll get his family on me, like purely just for having like an interest in him. And the thing is like at secondary school, I was there like la 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 la, like, oh my God, like he's so cute and la, 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 Michael Jackson and this and that and the other. But like, Looking back and upon reflection, like it really, even as I'm talking about it, like I'm angry at myself for allowing that to go on for so long. Um, and I'm angry that like I didn't notice at the time that that guy was just purely dis disrespecting me. Like it's one thing, again, it's one thing to have a crush, but to go as far as like racially assaulting someone every time mm. they speak to you for the sake of just doing well, it. don't get, girls get taught that if a guy's being mean to you. That they like you. Like, yeah. So, that you patriarchy know. programming yeah. there. But yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah, so it if and when he hears this, fuck you in the words of Lily Allen. And, um, Oh no, let me stop right there. I was going to be really immature, but no, fuck you. Um, and I hope that all your Michael Jackson CDs are scratched. So, um, <laughs> that leads to the next... No, but it's real. It's a real no, example of how it goes. So. I'm looking off camera, my editor, like, he's, he went to secondary school with me, so he's like, oh God, I know who it is. I'm not a superhero person. I don't care for DC. Like, I know Marvel has legacy. Not on camera, child, but yes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah, this person is. You're there, like, creasing. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he can see my, he's got a copy of my script. So he can oh, actually, okay. So oh, he, okay, can see the read, oh, right. he can see the reads that I had actually planned for this, but I didn't say because I just thought, no. So that's why I used the Michael Jackson CDs. But yes. Yes. Um, so that leads us perfectly actually into question. I hope this isn't like in the mic, but um, it's question number eight. Um, so in light of those reflections, um, what can uh, parents and carers do to help their child navigate the experiences of racism in school? And what can they do to challenge it directly? Yeah, so I would say um, there's many different ways that parents and carers can go about tackling racism. First of all, I would say that parents and carers themselves also need to understand racism. Yes. And sometimes I would say, again, especially in the context of um, multiracial households or within the context of fostering or adoption, for example, we can't take it for granted and believe that all carers are people with lived experience as well, because mm. that's not always the case. So that's the first point, because I actually... In my experience and from friends I've had or young people I've worked with in the past who've had a white parent mm. and from a multi-ethnic background, their white parent doesn't always understand their experiences. And sometimes inadvertently, indirectly, 
is racist towards yeah, their yeah, own child yeah. without even knowing. So we need to start off with like checking ourselves and 100%. like how we behave and all that kind of stuff as parents and carers. Yes. Then I would say f- following on from that, really encouraging open and honest conversations mm. with your child about racism and their experiences. And like, obviously, you know, like a lot, there's been a lot um, recently about like going back to your point about talking to children about yes. white privilege. You know, the backlash to that is like, why are we talking to children about race so young? But then it's like, for black families, you yeah. have to have the talk so young. So because you, young. You know yeah. that like in, inevitably racism is going to feature yeah. in their life and you need to prepare them for it and not yeah. put them out into the world thinking it's all hunky-dory because yeah. it's not. So again, just thinking about how to handle those conversations sensitively. And actually next month, um, we're going to be publishing some uh, f- a summary of some research we Amazing. did with King's College University nice. with an all-black research team yes. uh, led by an uh, amazing woman of colour, Yasmin, as well, Amen. who um, looking at like the impact of inter- intergenerational racism okay. between parents and children and like that's how that's so perceived and stuff. It's going to be so interesting oh, to I'm watch excited. this Oh, excited. Yes, yes, yes. So that, that will kind of yes, hopefully yes, yes. give you a... Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. yes. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I know, I know. <laughs> no, but yeah, sorry you were so, saying. <laughs> so, no, no, no. So, you know, yeah. However way they want to convene those conversations yeah. in AI, yeah. <laughs> if they want to have those Get pinky doll on that. You know, with their, with their child. And then I would say, um, then thinking about if there's concerns obviously speaking to the teachers within the school to raise it so it's on their radar and you know obviously ultimately when things like that take place in school it's mm-hmm. the responsibility of teachers to act on it and all that kind of stuff um I would also say you know thinking about active participation like joining um school councils or parent councils nice. so that you can actually advocate directly on yes. behalf of your child but also all children who might be affected by it yes and then um if if you don't if as a parent or carer you don't feel confident enough in doing those things directly, mm-hmm. there's so many other organisations out there that can support you, like advocacy organisations. So, mm. um, Quorum, for example, mm. Just for Kids Law. Um, what else did I have? Children's Commissioner for England. Loads of these organisations exist to kind of like yeah. support families dealing with this stuff. And then also lots of charities. So Fantastic. just looking in your local authority to see places yeah. where you can get information and advice to deal with this stuff. Nice. Um, so yeah, those are some things that I think parents Fantastic. and carers could do. Yeah. Thank you. That's amazing recommendations. Thank you for that. Um, and definitely um, once the research is out, I'm so excited to see it and I'll definitely link it for listeners to to listen into. Um I, I might not have professional um, reflections, but um, I say name and shame the racists, really and truly. Um, in the case of Thomas Knive at school, where the girl was, um, young black girl was beaten up um, by a family of uh, travellers. Um, but not only was she beaten up, she was filmed. And then all the witnesses that were in her vicinity, including, including the head adults. teacher, yeah, no. the head teacher... Yeah. Uh, or watch that happen. Um, and the minute that footage was posted online in 24 hours, phone lines were down, protests were outside the school. Um, I don't know if the head teacher has left yet or not. I don't know. I don't think he has because racism. Um, but that was one example of naming and shaming the school, for instance. Um, again, you know, parents keeping an extensive record of racism in school. So, you know, date, timing, all that, all of that important information, because if you do need to step it up in the legal manner you have that documented proof and again following on to what we just mentioned in terms of you know the governmental recommendations um legally speaking if we're looking at that recommendation 2023's recommendation schools should not be discriminating people on race or their protected no. characteristics so so there's that really um but yeah you've mentioned that so i, I think mm. we'll, we'll go to the school next governors question. is the other one that i forgot school as governors. well yeah so 
in addition to school councils, like, you know, anyone Amazing. can, uh, well, pretty much anyone can become a school governor as well. Nice. So that's another way the governors are in charge of like the school's governance and hold the head teacher and the leadership team to account. So yeah. that's somebody else that, you know, the governing board of a school that parents could go to if they yeah. feel the head teacher is not taking the issue seriously enough. Nice. Like in that school, for example. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you, Kadra. Um, you know, if you are comfortable, can you please share some of your experiences um, in where your innocence and your independence were robbed um, as a young black person? Yeah, definitely. I think mine's been interesting um, being the daughter of migrants. So mm. um, I was born here, I guess, is that second generation? I never really I know. Think, I don't know. What, is it first generation? I uh, think so. I never really know. Because I'm the same. Like, I was born here. Okay, I always get it wrong. I don't know. I don't know Someone let us know in the Some, comments. <laughs> yeah, one of these generations. <laughs> um, and obviously, there's a whole movement, actually. Um, shout out to Home Girls Unite nice. about being the eldest daughter of immigrant parents. And that automatically kind of robs you of your innocence. Yeah. Not blaming my parents, but yeah. I think, obviously, um, being, like, newly arrived in the country just before I was born, they're focusing on, like, trying to establish themselves, settle in, acclimatize, learn the language, all of yeah. these things, right? And over time, whilst doing that, and I became older, it's kind of like, mm. oh, can you help with this? Can you help with that? Can you do that? It's true. And I have three younger siblings who I love, but Aww. I had to babysit them a lot, a lot and do yeah. that kind of stuff and help out with picking up from school. Like, because especially a lot of migrant families face you know financial pressures all these kind of like yeah. other barriers that they sometimes have to rely mm -hmm, on their mm -hmm, networks mm -hmm. or would on their children to provide that caring support and stuff like that so not at all to like blame my parents for, yeah. <laughs> for that experience because we had to do what we had to do to survive at that time but you know yeah you don't have that normal it's true childhood yeah. like they did the best they could all the yeah. time and obviously did amazing stuff like family trips and stuff like yeah. that too to compensate yeah. for it but yeah. still it's like okay it's my friends didn't have to leave school and go and pick up their brother from yeah, school they could just go straight on. to the parks literally yeah <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. so those kind of experiences which I think a lot of us may share yeah the yeah black and within the diaspora community generally 100%. right so those kind of things I guess for me and then um like I said in school and all of that it wasn't really a problem like yeah. that for me yes because it was quite diverse and I think they like you know, in my primary school um, assemblies, we used to sing Destiny's Child like every day. We used to come to school <gasps> so and lucky. like this old white man who was our music teacher would be playing it on the guitar and we would be singing I'm a Survivor every day. I love And we had a white that. teacher and everything. That's how it was. That's so, an affirmation. You know, I feel like it was quite like, yeah, promoting positive wow. black childhood in those settings. Yeah. Now that I reflect on it. So, wow. But, you know, that was nice. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is nice. And thank you for sharing that experience. Um, again, we've spoken about um, adultification. Um, again, please go and check out Janine Davis's work. Um, yes, again, Kadra amazing. and I, amazing. <laughs> she's amazing. We met her very briefly, but again, very warm spirit, very good aura. So um, all of the good things there. Um, I guess in terms of talking about this question, I I wanted to, I looked at it in terms of, well, from the direction of, you know, well, we've spoken a lot about blackness being likened to violence, but on the other hand, we look at the marrying of innocence to whiteness. Um, mm. And, you know, again, talk about representation, this larger question that we're trying to answer today. The role of media blah, blah, blah. the role of media representation in portraying innocence as well. Mm. Um, and I want to talk about Lucy Letby. But before I do that, I want to issue another disclaimer here in this space. 
this case has already seen a legal conclusion. Okay, so that's that's the first thing. I'm offering my opinion. But importantly, actually, I do offer my sincere condolences to the families that have been affected and that have been impacted. And of course, understand the family's right to privacy. Um, nor, nor would I expect them to identify themselves. Um, so um, in that being said, um, I really wanted to identify how in the Lucy um, Letby case, for instance, when, you know, when everything was kicking off and, um, and, and sort of, yeah, first starting off, um, you know, there's so much statistics that look at, you know, the likelihood of young, um, you know, well, black mothers dying in, uh, in childbirth, but also the likelihood of, you know, um, black children that are born um, and are in the care of, I want to say some, please, people listen and listen well. I mean, it is white doctors. You don't even need to say <laughs> the data compares white doctors and black doctors. That's true. So thank you for that. Um, but statistically speaking, um, black children or black babies that are born in the custody of white doctors or are more likely to die. Yeah. Of course, in the case of Lucy Letby, the families, of course, with their rights to privacy have been made anonymous and the victims, of course, understandably. But in all of this, I was thinking like, oh, it'd be interesting to understand the ethnic, um, you know, uh, makeup of all of the victims families you know you know in the in the conversation of innocence you know did lucy let me take out her vile actions on more children of color did she spread them out but my point being in all of this is that you know the murder should have never happened in the first place um and again you know may the souls of all of those that have passed rest in peace but in looking at the rep media representation of whiteness and innocence you know we saw a lot of um you know the doctor that that um got her like that, exposed her, Dr. Ravi um, Jayaram, a doctor, South Asian doctor, the way that he was vilified, you know, mm -hmm. had made to write a letter of apology. Uh, Lucy Letby, it was reported that she got a fully funded uh, academic course, um, which in my knowledge of certain workplaces, <laughs> a letter of apology is, a, is, is asking for Santa to come yeah. home. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's unheard of. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, we saw a lot of, you know, um, what what does she look like? Like, oh, you never expect Lucy to look like that. Like, what does a child serial killer look like? And I'm thinking, what do you want a child serial killer to look like? Like, do you want it to ascribe to your own bias and your own representation of, of a child serial killer or of criminality? Um, and that in question brings in the politics of representation. Um, I will talk a bit about representation in a bit more detail. Um, but it's a theory um, uh, developed by Dr. Stuart Hall, mm -hmm. um, a British Jamaican scholar. Um, and basically to really shorten it, here looks at well basically Stuart Hall defines representation as the production of meaning through language through systems of images objects events and languages and of course back onto the Lucy Let Be piece if we're taught to understand through images and language that white both the colour and skin colour um, are equivalent to purity and that conversely black and brown colours are tarnishes so to speak and opposite to the symbolism of purity then that becomes of course the socially dominant way of thinking mm -hmm. um, and of course you know, despite our own experiences and interpretations of the world, I think that is probably one of the most powerful examples of representation in the media, so to speak. And also as a, as a contemporary, you know, piece that's going on at the moment, I, I think it's, it's really um, insane. Um, and of course, you know, in the with the power of representation, you know, how we all interpret that as a black woman, as black women, how we interpret the, the crimes of Lucy Letby, you know, several black women have come online and, and spoken truth to power in, in that piece. Um, however, you know, presenting their own experience and their own knowledge. But of course, well, of course, the system of racism has meant that they've been the, you know, the receivers of the vitriol of abuse. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, 
which I think is insane, which I think is is stupid. And I think considering the way the way that innocence is portrayed, considering the way, well, considering the fact that the so-called symbolism of purity created or did such a unthinkable act and black women are talking about that act, you know, the vilification has gone yeah, to yeah. a completely yeah, different yeah. direction. Like it, it just... Yeah. It Even the, ima- the images of actual victims of like crime, for yes. example, or death. What are the images that get chosen of them? It's yeah. like them, that one time they took a photo in a hoodie. Oh, look, oh my it looks God. like they deserve to die. All the goofy so they, photos. they are actually innocent. Yes. And they still get portrayed as a criminal. Yeah. Even when they're dead. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's true. Mean? It's so, so, so true. So that's that stark contrast, like you say. But Such a contrast. the media know what they're doing around They that. know what they're doing. They know what yeah. they're doing. Um, so uh, this moves us swiftly on to instinct, the instinct piece of this um, episode. So instinct um, is defined as again going back to the uh, definition that we shared this morning um this morning i don't know today the way that people animals naturally react or behave without thinking uh, without having to think or learn about it so that's the definition um and of course in the socialization of black youth they are often linked to criminality as we've already discussed as an instinct rather than a product of institutional and systemic racism how does the school to pipeline um theory or work support this claim no, definitely. I would say, actually, for me, the instinct um, to act is like a psychosomatic yeah. kind of symptom. And like uh, we've been doing quite a lot of work around like the links between behavior and mental health in schools, nice. just because the government at the moment, they're like they have been pushing this whole agenda around zero tor- tolerance approaches to bad okay. behavior or since the pandemic children's behavior has worsened and they need to be like worked back into wow. shape going back to school i don't know if you've seen even all the stuff around like attendance no and, like lots of uh, children struggling to go back to school since wow. the pandemic and stuff wow. but really like all these things like even for adults they're the behaviors or the misbehavior, quote unquote, that children display, it's all trying to tell you something. There's something beneath the surface, whether it's trauma, mm. they're trying to communicate some sort of need. It might be undiagnosed as special educational needs, yes. SEND, and all these kind of other things that um, it's a cry for help for them rather yeah. than them actually just misbehaving yeah. for no reason. Do you know what I mean? Like children are not born inherently bad or they're evil not. and stuff. No, Do you know what not. I mean? There's always they've either learned the behavior from the context of the households they're in or something like there's something behind it that should be investigated at the least of course anyone can be cheeky and mess about and stuff and sometimes we know that but even that is developmentally appropriate for children Mm. why are we expecting seven-year-olds to behave like an adult it's true do you know what i mean so those things like in terms of instinct again you have to take that developmental approach yeah because the instinct for a three-year-old would be to put their hand on the stove. And it's not true. Know that. Yeah, <laughs> if you've yeah. not had the experience, you won't know, right? So yeah. um, those are the things that, for me, have been worrying me in school settings because mm. we know who doesn't impact the most when we're trying to restrict those instincts, yeah. right? That's true. Black and uh, disproportionately traveler children as yeah. well in yeah. school settings. And obviously the school-to-prison pipeline, I think, was some a concept developed in the States as it well. It was, yeah. And like they talk about actually, um, it's not even school per se, but it's school exclusion, right? So all those uh, young people who are pushed out of the education system, seen as bad, whatever, are left to their own devices without support Mm. in the community, without education. And um, especially in the UK anyway, there's been a growing focus on like criminal exploitation. Like how those children who are then not in school are then being groomed by gangs and stuff. I don't... Again, I think sometimes 
that is seen as the main picture when it's mm. not just that there's lots of other stuff going on too but yes some some young men especially are coerced into like getting into mm-hmm, criminal mm-hmm, exploitation mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff and then that leads them to wow you know yeah criminality and being arrested and that's wow. how the uh, pipeline goes yes but of course if you don't give people good housing good education yeah uh, good jobs all these kind of other stuff what else There's, like what else can they do to where can make they go yeah you know what I mean yeah <laughs> so, absolutely again and like um again shout out to no more exclusions is an amazing nice. organization that's led by a teacher and a young person with their own lived experience mm. of being excluded and ending up in the system yeah. themselves and they said most of the young people they spoke to had wow been excluded from school so there's a strong connection connection. the data just proves it as well so wow but again keeping children in school helps reduce the numbers of young people ending up in the criminal justice system is a no-brainer so we need to fix the school system like what can we make what can we do to make it more inclusive more engaging for young people i agree that's the answer but i think it seems like it's the hard thing to do the hard thing whereas exclusion is easy to do yeah you know dismissive again um could we please get the definite um not the definition the google results of instinct please um so actually funny enough when i typed in (laughs) instinct for black youth this thing came up i typed in instinct black youth instinct for black youth this was the first thing that came up i don't know if it was some and the questions are interesting too questions are very interesting but like yeah what is it all about well the first two but, um, yeah, about um, black men. Like, I don't understand it. Very interesting. <laughs> but also, like, I don't want to buy your ish. Uh, next picture, please. So I had to scroll a bit further down. And again, you see, well, following on from the questions, you know, the representation that is shown of black black young people and, and their um, quote-unquote instinct. And again, I touched on this very briefly, but the fear of representation by um, Jamaican-British historian Stuart Hall, who's, as a um, as a politics and international relations um, graduate, I had to do a... I had to, familiarize myself with him so it's kind of like going back the memory lane with him but again I've, I've mentioned about um you know the politics of representation and, and what that is in essence um but you know his theory is understood as exposing and critiquing the representation of gender race and class in the mass media versus the lived experience um, and the reality of gender race and class that we see in the day-to-day so like when i say day-to-day i mean the disparities that we see in these um, different social and um, categorizations as such um so for instance um you know crime uh yeah we've seen crime uh, racialized but you see you know with gender issues we see a patriarchal lens on that piece as well um but Stuart Hall argued that the media that we consume of course is not to be trusted but before the right wingers say fake news fake news we're talking about the purpose for disinformation that's being shared about these you know very important issues and shout you know it, it kind of throws me back to um a Dominic Samuels last week she did like a tweet expose if you want to call it that where she you know exposed Oh, yeah, that the day the mm. Daily Mail came to her to write an anti-black piece on Carnival, and she just stood up and said no, and wanted to bring light to it. But it's like, I'm so sorry. Excuse me. Of course, people can change their perspectives and, and learn do what they need to do. But okay, um, if if you are so if you are someone who has been represented and has been a beacon for anti-black rhetoric, um, as a um, I don't know how I don't want to speak for her, but if you if you are representing that that image um, for right wingers for racists, and then you turn around and say actually I, I stood up and I said no, 
that doesn't do anything for us because the representation in the media is already out there. You've already, you've enabled that. You've supported that. You've you've sat there for how long? It was it was only until Notting Hill Carnival that you said, I can't do this, which like, I thought- you want a cookie. Like, do you not, like, <laughs> oh my God, well done. Like yeah. you're one of us, you're, you're kinfolk now. Fantastic. No. Like, what do you want from us? Like, it, it makes no sense. No, because white supremacy will use you until it needs to use you yes. and then expend you. Literally, and dump to. you like and nothing. That's, what, that's what's happened. That's what's so happened. now when the chickens come home to roost. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a bit of a sticky one. Um, but again, I don't think we should, it needs to be explained nope. to not trust the, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I don't think it's, 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 you know, rocket science <laughs> to think that we can't really trust the media outlets that we use. Um, but in that being said, you know, um, I want to talk about, oh, that is powerful. It is very loud. Do you want to use it? mine? Ooh, no, don't worry, don't worry. It's fine. Like it's, it's oh, quite, thank you. bless you. Oh, um, <laughs> nice and gentle. <laughs> bless you. Um, but, you know, we've spoken a lot about criminalisation, um, but, you know, government action, you know, again, instinct. So with government action against, the, you know, black youth, we see action against, you know, uh, music genres and self-expression. Um, you know, with dual music, we've seen that, you know, sensationalised as, you know, the catalyst for knife crime in the UK. Um, and of course, with that government action, we've seen, you know, uh, gang injunctions. We've seen um, bans on drill music videos. Um, Concerts. Concerts as well, certain artists being banned from performing, which I think is mm. absolutely insane. But then, in the same breath, the government, um, and to quote Matt Hancock directly, has the audacity to say that they're a fan of drill music. How can you be a fan of something that your government are are intrinsically silencing? How can you sit there and acknowledge the power of you know one art form? from black British culture that is putting the UK on the fucking map. How can you do that? How can you flip flop? Because they, he can understand for him, the, listening to it doesn't affect his behavior, but that doesn't apply to us. Say that again. Say, say that again. Say that again. So I'm saying like, well, not specifically singling him out, but I'm just saying, you know, yeah. certain people, white people in positions of power feel they can listen to it and have that music and lyrics not yeah. influence their behavior, but black young people can't. It's They're so, incapable. Oh. Sorry, I listen to rap. I listen to I listen yeah. to all this stuff. It does not affect my behavior. It's so. And it's I know, so yeah, sometimes there are some problematic lyrics and like, you know, confessing to mm. murders and stuff yeah. like that. Probably not a wise idea. Not a wise but, idea. But you know, <laughs> there's things like that that you know we could reconsider and also yeah. think about positive, you know, yeah, pos yeah. messaging, but just to demonize yeah. it altogether yeah. I think is very reductive and to think that you're seeing so much income so much we're seeing so many new cultural you know um, what's the word like highlights like people in our culture in our community that we can say oh my god this person's doing so well and they're doing their thing but to, to go through all of that and have that recognition to have that be again another art form that is internationally recognized that, this is something that's putting the UK on the map you're benefiting from this but at the same time the same breath in fact you're criminalizing it like make that make sense it doesn't yeah. it doesn't sit well with me like we've spoken about you know schools prison pipeline as you've just you know explained very very aptly actually you know um access to uh as you know employment access to to housing so you know with cuts to government spending with you know in an article by um in an article by the guardian published in 2022 90% of schools will have no money in 2023 um now in 2023 in um an article by unison um government cuts to schooling means that a pupil who would have started school in 2010 will have lost out on 5384 pounds of education funding by the time that they graduate sixth form this year so that's that's like what 
how um but with that being said you know with housing you know with youth homelessness we have 9.7 people who are homeless um, and applying for help are black however black people only make up 3.5 percent of british households you know we're talking about funding local councils british city council announced bankruptcy like what a year ago which in my view i think is a snowfall this week Birmingham, yeah, yeah, was it this week, yeah, a week yeah, ago? Yeah, yeah. Wow, um, time really does fly. But I think, in my opinion, that's only going to be a snowball effect of many mm-hmm. different local yep. um, authorities. And Birmingham are Europe's largest um, local authority and youngest, I think. Or and is it youngest, Bradford? one of the two. Damn. So, so yeah, one of the two. But if you think about Birmingham, for example, that that city, think about school, free school meals, extracurricular activities, access yeah. them. What does that mean? Um, Yes. Yeah, so I looked at an article from The Guardian in 2018, from 2018, which looked at, you know, um, I think it's on here. Yes, it's the top search um, of the screenshot that I, I shared, um, where a few black and mixed race, um, like Afro-Caribbean mixed heritage um, people came in and shared their lived experience of um, trying to find employment. So one person called Connor Robinson um, from South Croydon uh, said, and I quote, I think white people are stereotyping towards me because I'm brown. They think I'm a rude boy or gangster. And another um, person called Deji, Deji Adoshun, a youth worker, says, and I quote, um, a lot of young black men, especially in Hackney, one of the things that puts them off for applying for certain jobs is a sense that you need to be posh or well-spoken. Um, so it's, again, like it's it's stuff that we're already saying that's being confirmed, but I think it's, it's so, that was in 2018, by the way, we're in 2023. So to think and say the things that we're saying now, which relate to things that, you know, has been shared by these people is insane. Even worse. Since Even, the pandemic, cost of living, crisis, oh my God. all of that, um, opportunities. It's true. Opportunities. Oh my God. And then finally, in terms of employ, uh, you know, employment, um, I looked at a 2020 report published by the Office of National Statistics. Um, uh, for those who don't know, they are the organisation that are responsible for the census, which you know tracks the UK population. So I believe we're currently at like 67 million people in the UK. Um, but they did a 2020 report on ethnic youth economic activity um, and they studied between 2011 and 2020. Now, when I was going through this research, they had all of the different ethnic minority backgrounds information readily available and accessible. But when it came to white youth, they redacted in all of the years from 2011 to 2020 they redacted the numbers of white people and white youth in employment which i thought was really really interesting, interesting. um so between 2019 and 2020 110 um black african caribbean and mixed heritage people between 18 and 25 were in employment with 32,000 conversing unemployment between 2017 to 2018, uh, 98,000 Black, Afro-Caribbean and mixed heritage between 18 and 25 were in employment, in employment, with 23,000 being in unemployment. Um, now, in the data that I looked at together, Black youths were represented, yeah, were the highest represented um, for being in employment, which was great to see. Um, but amongst the highest that were, sorry, I'm amongst, I'm amongst the lowest in unemployment. Actually, no. In fact, sorry, let me go back on myself. White youth between 18 to 25 and 2019 to 2020 were the highest recorded demographic in unemployment at 310,000. So again, bearing in mind that we don't know because it was redacted how much are in employment, I don't think it gives us a, a sufficient enough sort of like mm. 
overview, but I think the reduction in itself is a statement in itself. Does yeah. that make sense? Yep. So again, looking at all of those bits and pieces are, are, are sort of jarring and thinking back to what the educational secretary said this week, um, you know, are we, is, are we meant to say, we're meant to, what? We're meant to say, thank you for doing a fucking good job. Can the fucking good job in the room please stand up? Like, can it stand up? Because how are we talking about these disparities and you're here huffing and puffing because what? After a 32 million pound renovation, you can't seem to think about how your policies are disadvantaging other people. Anyways, that's by the by. Um, But a final bit to leave on the note of instinct um, is the word democide, which um, uh, defined by Collins Dictionary is the killing of members of a country's civilian population as a result of its government's policy, including by direct action, indifference and um, and neglect. And, you know, this, I think, all of this that we've discussed is a form of democide, um, but an apt, I say, I say apt, yeah. Another example of democide that you could look at is the government's neglect in handling the coronavirus pandemic, which resulted to over 200,000 deaths. So, you know, different, different stroke, but I hope that pieces bits and, yeah, pieces it all together. So, um, in reclaiming the discourse um, about black youth, how should, in that case, instinct be redefined? Because as we've said today, it's not, you know, it's not innate for black youth to be criminal. It's not innate for black people as a whole to be defined as angry. Um, and there are some testimonies of black youth who have been able to survive the schools of prison pipeline, for instance. Against all the odds. <laughs> Against all the odds. Yeah, which is amazing. So it makes me think of like resilience, for example, as the word, which sometimes often the way that it's used, I don't really like it because it's yes. kind of like such in a deficit based way. You either have or don't have resilience. If only you had a bit more resilience, you could, you know, you could deal with <sighs> yeah. life's ills and all that. It's kind like of my mental health. Just like, yeah. yeah. I'm like, but actually that is resilience yeah. when we've been able to withstand so much oppression, discrimination, yeah. all these kind of stuff. So that to me is something to like think about that, you know, they persevere dis- despite all these like mm-hmm. odds against mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me anyway, all these things are just words. It's the behaviors yeah. that sit behind them that matter the most. 100%. So even when we get caught up in like terminology to do with race and stuff like that, I'm like, yeah. if you're not committed to tackling the entrenched issue yes. and inequality, then it doesn't matter what word you use, you know? And yeah. again, ultimately, like where we want to get to is where all children, including black children, mm-hmm. thrive, mm-hmm. live happy mm-hmm. lives, have the best start to life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they're yeah. equipped yeah. with yeah. that support from their family, from schools, from all these settings. They have the tools in their toolbox to become whoever they want to be. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's the ultimate sort of like mm-hmm. goal for me. Mm-hmm. But um, instinct independence innocence all of these things should still exist in that way like mm. they, they form part of the toolbox and they're things that young people can draw on Ooh. as and when they need it yeah right? yeah <laughs> Do you know what yeah, i mean but point. like if you're just limited to a certain selection of choices and options yes. and behaviors then that limits yeah it's true you know your development yeah. as a young person and just feels like you know, I think, is it also because I studied sociology in college? Nice. Is it Paul Gilroy who talked about self-fulfilling prophecy again? So Ooh. if we keep embedding all these things about That's new. this is how you're going to be, you yeah. know, you're going to end up fulfilling all those negative stereotypes mm. and depictions of yourself, right? Wow. I think it is. Hopefully I didn't misquote that. But wow, that's, in, that's interesting there. though over 15 years ago <laughs> <laughs> I love that though um thank you for that um I think you know just to add on to what you've shared without repeating what we've discussed really like I think in redefining instinct some of the I think one of my issues is that we again we don't have that we don't have a diverse representation of you know role models um you know or social 
networks for us to really be able to, you know, break, you know, break, um, break ground. There we go in certain industries. Like, you know, for instance, the music, well, music industry, I think is, is pretty much dominated by black folk. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. But, you know, but so nine positions of power, though. Ooh. So, so that's the thing. Ooh. There's artists, but then you hear about a lot of them, even Ray recently, who was that's, talking about oh, yes. Mahalia and their contracts yes. they've been in. That's so true. You know, so they get used to all the Yeah. Oh my God. That's actually a really good point. So yeah, visibility doesn't equate to like power. It really doesn't. It doesn't. And with that being said, um, I was trying to look at, you know, instincts, you know, these people keep saying, oh, you know, people get out of the hood. Like, you know, why can't you? And all that bullshit. Um, In a 2018 article, um, there are no, I tried to look for more contemporary information, but still, there are no black CEOs in the UK's top Mm-hmm. Um, top 100 uh, biggest corporations which I think is insane uh, now there's like a commitment to having like one person from an ethnic minority um, in the boardroom or whatever but I think it's still quite telling it of itself um, and of course um, in relation to what I mentioned in question five about you know um, the breaking of self-esteem and redirecting career paths and options and stuff like that um, you know we see that in terms of like um, instinct and and even in employment we see that again that disparity in you know a lot of um black people in uh research given by um tra- the trade union what the t- the trade union umbrella body the tuc this is coming from the voice newspaper um black and minority ethnic people um uh, are in insecure work in insecure work and insecure work um is defined as low pay and variable hours and fewer rights and protection for workers um from coming from 360,000 in 2011, that skyrocketed to 836,340 in 2022. So, again, just to, just to simplify that, because I really went around around ring a ring of roses. 836 people, 80, fuck me, 836,000 people um, in 2022 are in black people are in insecure work, which I think is again telling of the system that we have in itself. And that relates to COVID excess deaths as well, right? That's so true. That yeah. gig economy being, you know, in those kind of like frontline jobs yes. most of the time, which they tend to be. Yes, that's so true. Yeah. So true. Um, but to answer the question as well on my side I think instinct for black youth needs to be redefined outside of the criminalization that's attributed to blackness I think that um, you know instinct needs to be redefined acknowledging the achievements as in really acknowledging the achievements of those that have broken wind Um, and I think industry power but that comes with collectivization and I think that's a huge conversation that we need to have in our community as a whole Mm. maybe we can have it on this podcast one day but I think that's one thing we need to as a community come together and say like let's strategize let's have our own industries let's have our own empires you know um and i guess an example um of of i guess you know uh, a role model in the black community is you know stormzy you know big up stormzy i'm manifesting a collaboration with you it's gonna happen um but you know stormzy scholarship fund um for black students going to oxbridge that's significant piece of work actually of course we got there what about white people but again having that scholarship fund to support black students who we've seen spoken about for how long now um the disproportionate disadvantages that they face i think is you know incredible because to have someone in a high position of power such as stormzy provide access and a pathway to you know for us to black people to access you know high levels of academia such as oxbridge i think is insane and i think it's great and i believe that just handing them those Oxford or Cambridge yeah. 
the green. Yeah. They obviously had worked for it. They worked to, for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's the picture people give, like, no, they still have yeah. to get the green. They worked to get for it. it. So, yeah. It's they, actually, yeah. they deserve it. They deserve it 100%. So, I think, you know, that's amazing. And that's one example. And yeah. I, I believe that one day we will get there where we have that empire, we have that collectivization. And I, yeah, I believe we should definitely take back um, sovereignty in that piece. Um, so yeah, uh, my next question for you is generational trauma is an unfortunate experience in the black community. Whether it's experienced personally or as a witness, there is a law attached to the way that we black youths communicate unity and protect ourselves from harm. Aquaman, the six, I'm saying the, trying to really get the accent on Aquaman. Um, um the 16 year old who I'll keep anonymous instinctively jumped in the water to, def to defend the captain assaulted by the white mobsters at the Battle of Montgomery, which we've just mentioned <laughs> um, earlier today, which was actually, well, at the time of today's filming, a month ago today. Um, do you feel that Aquaman's actions were an act um, or a commentary on the general racial trauma that we can experience in our community? or 100% and like again we've already touched on fight or flight and yes um it's actually research has shown that like black babies are born with high levels of cortisol <gasps> which is the hormone for, for fight or flight right then wow. um, compared to white yeah, babies so yeah, even yeah. from birth when we talk about intergenerational it's actually intergenerational yeah, from yeah, the womb yeah, 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 yeah. you know what I mean and that gets passed on it's like generations and generations of racial trauma and stress you know impacting our yeah you know, physiological kind of development, yeah, <laughs> for yeah, example. Yeah. So that in itself already in, innately and like navigating predominantly white spaces, you're mm -hmm. always on high alert, right? High stress. And like, what can we do to support each other? Because true. I guess that was his instinct. Yeah. was just to, you need to act fast. And like, yes. everyone got in formation and it was beautiful. Everybody got in formation. It was, <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? So, unity, you know, unity. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I think like, I think we could take that further because there are some instances where that doesn't happen. That was the example oh that my was God, filmed yeah. where it did happen. Yeah. But there's other instances where I think we, some of us have internalized that yes. divide and rule mentality yes. and then we recreate it within our own communities. And yeah. sometimes we self-destruct ourselves. We do, yeah. We don't even need <laughs> yeah. that. When we're talking about this whole yes. situation, the instinct can even be to like self-corrupt yeah. in that sense, which is yeah. just like very sad and it happens very. and that's why your call for like that collective action and having conversations about it yes. is so necessary because even though we're talking about blackness and black british it's still not a defined mm. thing in my point of view like yeah. who defines what that is and it's been evolving mm. over time and like obviously there's different waves of like black communities in the uk it's not necessarily a shared experience is it yeah <laughs> do you know what i mean so i think there's so many things there's that so we can kind it. of do to like unpack that a bit more but it definitely was and you know let's hope it teaches uh that community a lesson yeah and especially happening in montgomery where there was the boy bus boycotts right yes. and all that kind of stuff so yes. it's very symbolic it of was. that generational trauma it in was. that particular community no, yeah fighting for justice yeah. so you yeah. know the black people of montgomery they did more their power bits to them. <laughs> more power to you more power yeah. to you um everything that you said about um aquaman um <laughs> So Aquaman actually defied Aquaman. Let me not get is sued it, by in DC. The dictionary, are you tell us? It oh, is, oh, yeah, oh, it's oh. in the Urban Dictionary. Oh. So it's defined as the <laughs> unlikely black superhero. Um, that's what comes up when you type in Aquaman. Um, it's a punny take on the DC. <laughs> that's actually so jokes. On the 
um, <laughs> um, on the DC uh, superhero Aquaman. Um, so I'm very pleased to say that the family of attackers have been arrested and have been charged with federal um, hate crimes. So again, a month to today's recording, August the 8th, 2023 was the day that white folks learnt that black folks can swim and importantly that white a white folding chair uh, became the symbol of black resistance um which i thought was amazing um so I'm going to sort of speed through. Um, but there was another angle on generation trauma that I wanted to sort of like touch on. Um, and that is like, you know, in the home and around abuse in the home. Um, and I saw a TikTok because, um, yeah, because I think, you know, the home environment can really impact, you know, going to school and, you know, growing up as a young person, you know, that yeah. altercation piece, I'm an eldest child, like all of that and how that can take place and how that can shape someone is, is really important. Um, and I saw a TikTok by someone called Dr. Chanda um, that, handle is at paging.doctor.chanda where she stitched a video about um, uh, someone like a black woman sort of giving their commentary on um, where like parents discipline their children which is a a term that we hear a lot in our community um, unfortunately Um, and how in in the original video before the stitch that disciplining a child is the most whitest thing that you can do Um, and Dr. Chanda um, stitched it and um, spoke about you know, um, how that in reference to discipline, when it's rooted in violence, the same violence that was inflicted on, you know, our ancestors, um, you know, which was to destroy their sense of identity, destroy their their literal bodies, um, you know, to destroy their trust. Um, that that is the whitest thing that you can do because you're you're repeating that generational yeah, yeah, trauma. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, she in that stitch cited generational trauma, which I was like, like, there we go. It's it's linked. Um, you know, in a 2021 study um, by Gov, uh, gov.uk, um, black children made up of seven made up seven percent of looked after children and two percent of those adopted. Um, and again, looking at the topics of you know the role of culture and race, um, adequate support for black looked after children and adopt, and adopted children should should be addressed, and it will be addressed in a different time on this episode because I think that's a different conversation I have for a an different amazing day. suggestion for a guest for that, by the way. Oh, okay. We'll talk offline. We will. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I need to stop. <laughs> Pinky doll, please don't come for me. <laughs> um, but I guess, like, my my response to the question in terms of general, generational trauma, I kind of wanted to, I guess, open up a little bit because, like, for me personally, um, you know, I'm a care leaver. Um, and that particular, that Uh, yeah that particular experience um you know for me navigating my emotions my feelings my actions my relationship with people and institutions um and of course the adultification and you know as an an eldest daughter taking on so much responsibility uh really impacted my own youth um so meant that I had to become an adult very 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 young um and very very quickly and we've spoken about Janine Davis and her incredible research but she cites another scholar called D.L. Stevens um who says, um, and I, I'm going to quote here, um, children living in homes where domestic violence is present are more likely to be adultified both within the home and externally. And um, Janine uh, Davis continues and says that, you know, the potential implications for the vulnerability of the child often be, you know, often are overlooked, leaving them more at risk because they're pres- you know, there's a presumed yeah. sense of independence. And when I looked at Dr. Chandler's, like, TikTok actually like I don't know it was kind of like oh wow you know hit home a little bit um because again I'm, I'm hearing about you know generational trauma in one form yeah. um and 
I guess it affirmed my own choices in regards to, you know, future generations and all that ish. And as a care leaver, I'm grateful and, you know, lucky enough to have had the experience that I've had through the care system um, and that I'm a survivor of what I, you know, what me and my younger siblings went through before moving into our foster family, um, really. Um, and that's that, to be honest with you. Um, and I think, you know, that this is a great time to identify that again with the piece of intersectionality, that this is my personal lived experience against social structures such as, you know, racism and misogynoir. Um, when I think about my instinct, independence and innocence, and again, you know, young black people will have different feelings about being in the care system and different identities and all that ish with being in that and in like, you know, in likeness to their own identities, their own innocence, instinct and independence. Um and yeah, that's it really. Um, yeah, but yeah. watch this space. There'll be more to it. But I just thought that piece was really interesting. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's, no, yeah, it's okay. So much to like unpack in that <laughs> Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think like for me, like anyway, again, white supremacy is so part of the care system itself as well. Like, Oh my God. Little, again, I worked in a, one of the wealthiest local authorities once upon a time. Wow. And um, again, it was the small minority of racialized communities who faced the most interventions from children's services. But it was like, actually, there were so many, like, white, rich children yeah. experiencing neglect yeah. that the authority never cared about. Mad. <laughs> because the parents are rich and they've got, you know, they can speak to, you know. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? But I'm like, yeah. okay, they are left to their own devices all weekend. Is that normal? It's not normal, no. So, you know, yeah. there's a lot. There's so much. Looking forward but to yeah. that conversation. Thank you. Um, so that leads us to, our, I guess, yeah, our final question around the three eyes, um, which is how can we, Black youth, restore our innocence, independence, in oh my gosh, how can we, Black youth, restore our innocence and independence and therefore live joyful and fulfilling lives outside of the social representation of Black youth? Um, can I get the screenshot of the definition of, not definition, just the independent screenshots, please? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, so, yeah, I'll go to your reflections. Yeah. I mean, do you know what? There's so many things that I could say <laughs> in response to this question. And I think really it's about like uh, black young people finding the spaces where they and cultivating those spaces where they find joy yeah. right whatever that looks like for themselves for queer black young people it could be going to like black pride and like yes. creating offshoot kind of events from that do you know what I mean like it's just whatever brings you joy trying to find ways of like protecting and nurturing that I would say um and then related to that I guess like connecting and uh um like getting into like active campaigning or peer support with yes. other like-minded people yes. as well. So again, I think often when we think about like action, we think about areas where there's predominantly black people, but mm -hmm, there's mm -hmm, black mm -hmm. people in rural areas and what are they supposed to yeah, do? Yeah, it's but true. Like even when we ran a program, there was literally a young woman from somewhere in remote Scotland who yeah. got in touch with, she was like, how can I connect with you guys? Because I have no one. <laughs> I'm like, Aww. I'm the only black person yeah. in this whole village. And I was like, oh, you oh know. My so again, I think we need to like expand those horizons more, yeah. thinking outside of just like urban spaces because that's not again mm. representation of what it means to be black British, yes, right yes like, we yes. need to include those people yes yes, in it. yes um so I think you know I would like to see just more uh collective com and open conversations that are also productive not yes. talking about the same who pays on a first date conversations and all that kind of stuff that it's we true. see yeah. in, on, on social media platforms yeah. like this stuff isn't productive okay yeah, <laughs> so like yeah, yeah. let's think about the things that actually matter like what you're trying to do with this podcast Thank and you. stuff like that you know yeah. 
um yeah I'll be interested to hear what you think as well. yes um I think for me relating back to what I've literally just mentioned um not long ago you know sovereignty you know having we need that as a community we really need to collectivize because there's so much talent mm. so much potential um and having that sovereignty to reinvest into ourselves um you know I think can have we can have truthful and constructive conversations in our community as a whole um resistance I'm a very big Capricorns don't tell me what to do because I'm not doing it so we are you know taking away yeah let's let, yeah I'm a Capricorn I'm proud of it if you haven't noticed but um with resistance um I'm a very big cap you know um person of like if something doesn't look right or sound right challenge it and I think for us you know resistance for us black people black young people it, it, I feel like it's become a pillar in our community mm-hmm. um you know challenging the socially dominant order of right supremacy and the systemic subordination I watched um Kelechi's Say Your Mind latest episode um if you haven't please watch support the baby girl Kelechi Okafor yes, um Say Your Mind her podcast pod. insane um but I was watching her most recent episode um where she was talking had an interview with a redneck called Crash and she asked him a question about um you know what is what does it mean when you know racists or you know um you know yeah racists um come come in their sort of hives and attack black people for speaking truth to power like what what does that what's the message behind that and crash said it's something it's it's a message to say know your place which when i heard that when i heard crash say that i was like whoa like it really blew me aback because i was like that's it that's where the whole socioeconomic framework comes in because of course if you're subduing us that is keeping us in our place Mm -hmm. this is the same country they're saying we're the pioneers of abolishing slavery by the way please let's let's put the 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 caribbean experience as slavery (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? But you know, so, the thing is like for resistance for me, it's not, um, it doesn't always have to be in the form of a, a march or a protest, nope. right? Resistance can look like anything. It can be creative anything. arts. It can yep. be, do you know what I mean? This is my resistance. Napping. Like, yeah. The nap ministry exists. There's yeah. so many different yeah. things, you know? Literally. Like, so many ways, yeah. so many ways um, to do so. But I think that's one way. Re-education, you know, showing the stats that we've both shared today a lot of the stuff I had to research and find out and I'm pretty sure not a lot of people know that mm. um, and again I think for us as a community having those constructive conversations educating ourselves it's clear the curriculum doesn't want to do that so yeah. us having that knowledge and that again I think it was Michael yeah it was Michael Foucault my my degree coming in handy again who said knowledge is power so you know having having that access to knowledge is going to be again transformational for us um and finally uh, you know redefining joy you know there's a we've spoken about this there's a pain in the experience of racism and that's the pain that we all share in the diaspora you know no matter how old you are um and i think you know redefining joy allows us to become part of what allows us, I believe, to redefine the words innocence, instinct and independence for us as a, as a community, um, you know, for blackness and for, you know, the represent- representation of black youth. Um, and to end on a quote, um, this is a quote from Shante Joseph. Um, she says, and I quote, black joy is not found in the absence of pain and suffering. It exists through it. So, oh, I love that. Do you know what I mean? It's yep. cute. So um, that's that's that really. So yeah, wow, we've gone through a belter <laughs> of an episode. We have, on we a very have. hot day as on well. A, the, <laughs> I hope you're not hearing the fan going off in these mics. In mind. Because... <laughs> very loud. That's a motor, like, and the thing is, like, she's got a very small fan. If you're watching, you can see the size difference. Like, God. it's insane. I bought it in Packer Market, sorry. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's the punch in Packer Market. That's the South London coming out. <laughs> 
But um, but yeah. So um, to end this on a positive, yeah, we're ending on a positive note, anyways. But you know, you've heard Kadra and I dissect, dissect at large how innocence, instinct, and independence, both in the literal definition and statistic evidence shown, highlight the injustice, injustice, sorry, and disparities faced by Black youth. Of course, this impacts the ways that we are seen, heard and understood in our society. Systemic oppression charted to subdue the progress of, progress of the black youth and our right to education and, and a fulfilling life. You've heard our personal experiences, including some from other people that we've shared about, um, who've shared their own personal experiences. So to end the podcast, amongst the discussion, the answer to today's big question, and just to remind you all, the question was, the lived experiences of racism and the representation of black youths mean that they are stripped of their innocence prematurely and true socioeconomic independence, which can mean that their instincts are survival in a fundamentally racist heteropatriarchal world. How can we truly protect the innocence and independence of black youth? Well, listeners, the answer has to that question and is yet to be confirmed. So before we wrap up, I'm so happy. Before we wrap up, um, Kadra, please let the people know what mental health resources that people can be signposted to. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll say, um, firstly, there's this really great platform um, that was created recently by the Ubele Initiative and mine is called Bayo, B-A-Y-O. This is a platform that tries to bring together all the Black mental health and well-being organizations and support services out there nice. and i think you can just put in your postcode and it tells you what's in your area oh, so fabulous. amazing so but to give specific examples there's like black minds matter which yes. offer free therapy i think up to three sessions for black people who need support um there's the black african and asian therapy network yes. where if you were specifically looking for a person of color to be yes. your therapist you can find them up on there um a charity i work with young minds they've got some really yes, amazing resources great. as well around yeah. racism and mental health and um some advice for young people directly yeah uh, and then i mentioned kids of color as well yes um, if you're up in the north amazing organization too so Fantastic. there's lots but check out bayo for like Nice. A more extensive list, I'd say. Thank you so much, Kadra. And again, you're getting the creme de la creme of mental health experience. <laughs> Something so, like that. <laughs> no, please. So please take I don't know on. If you can call it that. Yes, I can. <laughs> so please take on Kadra's um, recommendations. A couple that I have here um, are the Forefront Project. Um, so that this is a youth um, organisation uh, fronted um, and founded by um, Temi Mwale, um, who's doing incredible work right now with the Chris Cabot campaign pain at yes. the moment um, but the Forefront Project is a youth organisation that supports people to reimagine peace and justice and bringing healing to the forefront so um, oh, at Forefront they believe in centering healing and practice transformative justice whilst challenging the UK's and they say addiction to criminalisation which we've mentioned today mm -hmm. so check them out um, also um, BLAM uh, it says yeah BLAM UK so that stands for Black Learning Achievement and Mental Health um, they have a range of wellness um, therapy wellness programs Programs, school education programs for key stage two and key stage three pupils, including mental health resources and more. Check them out. Um, we also have um, blackyouthproject.com. So they are a media outlet um, uh, where they have varying pieces and perspectives on um, gender, sexuality, and lived experience. Mm. And finally, um, Black Send Mamas UK. Um, I did an Instagram live with the CEO, I've mentioned this already, um, uh, of Black Send Mamas UK, Marsha Martin. Um, again, 
big shout out to you. Hi, hope you're okay. <laughs> um, uh, you can find the podcast actually on um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, and also um, uh, I will provide another link um, to donate to Black's Mamas, Send Mamas UK. But who are they? So they are a national support group and informational hub um, whose ultimate goal is to improve Black mothers' access to special educational needs and disabilities provisions for their children, as well as... Um, necessary assistance for themselves during their parenting journey of course they also see the clear difference in outcomes for black mothers trying to get the right support for themselves um, as they face barriers that we've discussed today you know being judged overlooked stereotyped and the such Blacks and Mamas UK provide regular support um, group sessions uh, through informative discussions and panel talks through all things black mental health, black motherhood and black neurodivergence, psychotherapist led workshops on um, nutrition and gut healing uh, for better mental health courses and one to one psychotherapy. Pardon me, so sorry about that. Um, and counselling programmes. Um, and regular mummy meetups and mummy's nights out, which is quite nice for those of you who have children. Um, Black's Mama also provide brunches and wellness retreats, as well as various man a various manner of SE, yeah, what? Various manner of, okay, cool, special educational need activities and events for ad and advocacy for send children on behalf of their mothers or carers. So again, amazing organisation. Yeah. Please check that out. Um, so yeah. We're wrapping up now. So please tell the people a word of encouragement, where to find you, how to keep supporting you and the incredible work that you do. Yeah, well, I mean, keep supporting this pod, first of all, because it's fantastic oh, and you. very informative and thank you will you. learn lots and change the world as a result. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank and you. Then I would say um, in terms of where you can find uh, the Centre for Mental Health, you can kind of just Google our Centre for Mental Health.org.uk. Sorry, .co.uk, I think is the website. Yes. I haven't typed it in such a long time. Anyway, yes. so I think that. And think then it, yeah. um, I'm on Twitter at um, Kadra, K-A-D-R-A underscore A underscore. And you can find me on LinkedIn as well. If you're on there, I'm not the greatest on LinkedIn, but people <laughs> seem to have I don't me use on it. it. <laughs> like, I get weirded out by that. Uh, yeah. Like, if I don't know you I are. mean, I've had good connections through it, oh, you know, from okay. people, but I just don't post that much. Fair. I don't really much. either. I should do more. But yeah, that's where you can find us. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, and my final word to you all um, is this. So context, I was watching The Handmaid's Tale a long time ago and I don't want to ruin it for anyone, so I'm not going to say too much. But there's a really important plot line um, with, uh, oh my gosh, off with Offred. Um, and she says the phrase, they do not own you, they do not own who you'll become. And that has stuck with me ever since. Once you, if you have watched it and you know the phrase, you know what I mean. And that's a very powerful scene as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I ascribe to that. And I think for black youth, I think that's a very powerful phrase for us, a very powerful affirmation. You know, um, we deserve to and will uh, reclaim our black innocence, instinct and independence. Um, and, you know, I think as a, as a future word, continue to challenge continue to challenge representations that we see continue to resist um you know this again the socially dominant narrative and systemic oppression you know continue to question the social political and eco social economic significance of these events um so that's my word to you we've got this we're amazing we're dominating shit they don't want to admit it but we are um and that's that really uh -huh. um in terms of where you can find the podcast to be confirmed Spotify, Apple, you'll find everything there. YouTube, you'll find it there. On Spotify and Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. Be honest, do what you want to do, but please leave us a lovely review because that, that, my hair, okay, <laughs> um, that gets more eyes and ears in the algorithm. YouTube, subscribe. Um, to be confirmed, you'll find me just there. Um, 
Uh, again, TikTok and Instagram at underscore to be confirmed pod is where you will find me. Um, Kadra has also shared her socials, but once we post everything, I will have everything ready for you to access. Um, also, let me know. I keep asking you guys, let me know who you want to see in the podcast. Let me know what topics you want to hear about. Um, because I'm, I'm intrigued. I want to hear more from you. I want to see what, what's on your mind, really. Um, and finally, um, you know, last month, um, I'm very grateful and proud to say that the podcast reached a year old. Mm. She's a baby. I know she's a year Amazing. old. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, significant and significant milestone. And I, you know, I, I don't care if I come across as um, overconfident, but I know that this podcast will be nationally and internationally renowned one day. Um, and we are Speaking just getting sense. started um, with it, really. So if you don't want to miss what's going on, stay on the right. Stay on the right. Um, again, Kadra and I have spoken about a lot today. Um, if there's anything that you feel that we may have missed, any reflections, feelings, thoughts that come up when you watch this, let us know. Um, but without further ado we're going to go so we'll see you at another time to mm -hmm. be confirmed <laughs> hey thank you for joining us on another episode of to be confirmed I hope that you feel inspired and please don't forget to like share comment save and subscribe to the podcast we'll be seeing you very very soon with another episode at a date to be confirmed. So we're going to have Francesco, the wonderful Francesco of Rublo Brothers UK and Chum Chat UK and amazing things. To, um, <laughs> I'm an editor and producer. I'm really just giving you a whole bloody list. Anyways, we're going to get Francesco to explain <laughs> to us the rules of this game we're going to play called Wavelength. Everyone say hello to Francesco. Hello, hello. 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 hi. <laughs> I forgot. Hello, hi. I set up the cameras, I don't even remember which one. That one. Okay, cool. We're going to play a nice game. It's called Wavelength. Okay, it's a good game. You learn about each other. It's very fun. Yes. So I'm going to think of a number. Thank you. And then you both are going to think of three questions. Okay. Take in turns. Okay. Um, category based. So okay. for example, you'll say something like a YouTube channel. And then Ooh. I'll give you a YouTube channel that I think is my number out of 10 okay. on like a rating scale. Okay. okay, I've got a number. Okay. Uh, do you want to go first? Yeah. Okay. Uh, favorite uh, Flavor of ice cream. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go vanilla. Okay. okay. Favorite town in the UK. Your um, folks are looking at you like you better make sure you're picking town the right city. town. Uh, town <laughs> uh, Blackpool. Oceans of the world. Oceans of the world. Um, let's say Atlantic. Okay. Is yeah. your answer four? Close. Oh. So you knew it was a low one. I was thinking two. Yeah. Three. Fuck. Yeah, three. Fuck. Blackpool is horror. I'm it sorry. It is. It is. I've been I'm there. Sorry. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, no comment I'll from comment. Kadra. No comment from Kadra. Um, <laughs> okay, okay now cool. Someone else, yeah, what do you think of number? Okay, cool. I'll think about it. I'm, I'm like, huh? This is, you know, the... Do, Should do, I think do, of the number? Do, do, you think like, of the categories this time? Yes, yeah. please. My brain okay. is like... Okay, I've got a number. Okay, cool. Um, Category is... Font. Font. Okay. Yeah. Um, Ariel. Okay. Um, Category is... That's powerful. Category is... Uh, drinks. Do you want to mm, use mine? Pineapple juice. Um, okay, cool. Category is... Snacks. Blueberries. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> yeah? Huh? That's good. Um, I want to say eight. Us. Fuck. Seven. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. yeah. So like just above average. Wow. Okay. okay sweet. Fair. You're going to have so much yeah. fun putting this nah, together. Horrible. <laughs> might have to edit because oh Chantal God. did not understand the game. It's crazy. You can put but a couple in though. And if it was... you like it, we'll play it again. Yes. If and you... you'll be a pro next time. Yes, I will be a pro. <laughs> I will learn. I will study the game because I do... I'm sorry. My brain switched off now. I've done all the talking. My brain switched off. But yes, if you enjoyed the game, please support Francesca. I do leave his handles on everything that we post. So drop him a follow, drop him a like, everything that everything that's positive there um thank you so much again for all of your support you can see me i'm relaxed now i've done what i need to do i can breathe um but whatever you decide to do with yourselves please look after yourself please stay safe um and i will see you very soon at another time to be confirmed bye bye bye, bye. bye. bye.